Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. That's right, and it's the week after the NFL Draft and Aaron Rodgers' is peeved edition. I'm at the house, the compound. Eh, it's not a compound, it's a house. It's not like Fez's. Fez in studio. Hopefully we're getting near the end. And again, we'll have to trust the experts, but I can't wait to be face-to-face with Fez. But we got a lot to talk about, and it's a workmanlike show. Let's get straight to it. All right, Fez, I've got a really staunch feeling about post-draft analysis. It's one of my, if not the pet peeve that I've got in sports media So what I'd be interested in is to hear you explain my pet peeve, my staunch position, first what you agree with and anything you don't agree with. it. I'm going to give you first crack to counterpunch. All right. The R.J. Bell 101 on grading draft performance. It's impossible for us to grade the draft performances, and here's why. None of us really know how good all these players are. Now, of course, we could just do a composite of all of the mock drafts and say, hey, here's the best players on the board. But we don't know what the real true needs of all the different teams are, nor are we. So you're, make, you're making a good point there, <clears throat> which is. The, you are. Well, which is the idea that there's two elements, big elements to the draft. One is how good the players are in general. Number two, what does this team need? Because who knows Jared Stidham better than Belichick? And anyone assessing him should have taken a draft choice he shouldn't have or a quarterback with a draft choice, how in the heck could you know better than Belichick in anything football-related, but specifically about his own team? So I think you could, you know, the whole wisdom of crowd thing – wisdom of crowds you could make the case that the composite and actually it's it's fascinating you mentioned that exact concept because the athletic actually has done that they've taken the 50 mock drafts that they most or the draft grades that they most value and they've taken a composite and compared it to the teams and literally they're saying the composite is break even against the teams. So the one GM is as good. And and what they're judging is based on how much equity they spend. They have another side of the equation, which is what's the contract of the the second contract on the, on the player. Ah, right. Which is Mm -hmm. a great way to measure it. I love that. Yes. And um, they said it's identical, uh, which is really speaks to my general point before the draft or any one grade after won't be near as good as the GM, but the GM compared to 50 of the blah, blah, blah people, maybe that's about even, it sounds like, but still you don't know the team. Those 50 people don't know the team as well. So in general, the thing I love to say is two things that really shut down. I don't think you can really talk about draft grades after these two statements 
quickly. One, every team feels like they had the perfect draft given what they were offered. Meaning, yeah, you would have wished Burrow fell to five, whatever. But given the given, Miami wanted Tua, they got Tua. They thought Tua was the right pick. So unless someone put the wrong pick in, right, data entry error, (laughs) they had a perfect draft. They all came home saying we did as well as we could have. Right? Agree or disagree? Agree, and it really showed when we were watching draft night – this was this was genuine to me, RJ. I know I can be fooled. I'm I, hey, I'm a naive child of the <laughs> West, and you you've set me straight on many of this. But truly, the coaches and the GMs looked so happy with each pick as the draft progressed. It came across as completely genuine that they were like, "Yep, love love that we were able to make that pick." It could be they're finally going to get out of that. They might leave the house for a while <laughs> and get away from the kids. It could be that and the wife. But, <laughs> you know, and I, I think some of that, though, has to do with who's available. So John Elway was a guy that obviously was effusive. Uh, Jerry Jones was happy, obviously. on it. Maybe it was the yacht. Uh, <laughs> the Arizona coach was mighty happy with his uh, Arizona, <laughs> his Arizona rich down there with 8,000 square feet or whatever it was. Kings or uh, what is it? Kingsbury. Kling- Kingsbury. I that, yeah. I, I thought he like rented a car dealership. It was like you know like a Mercedes Benz <laughs> type of place. That was spectacular. I like Belichick's better. Well, just because of the suit, you know, the Super Bowl trophies were just off, off camera. A little more impressive. So to me, these are things you can grade. You can grade how much draft equity a team had, and thus. Even if they draft a parity, they will have gained. I'll give you an example. Miami had more draft equity, and this is based upon a blend of the Jimmy Johnson system, the Chase, I think Chase Stewart, the guy from Football Outsiders, and there was one other that we blended. And Miami had more equity in the draft than the other three AFC East teams. So. The idea that Miami helped themselves more than New England only makes sense. So I think in general, if you think about are you making an adjustment, but that's really in theory an adjustment you can make as soon as the draft capital's been determined, right? Yes, and I think Miami also, we expected, hey, they might have to draft up and lose some of that draft equity, and the opposite happened. Miami actually picked up a fourth rounder. Yeah, but now the theory is we're saying Tua was a good pick of five. I'm not sure he was. That's mm. what that's what I don't think we can do. Right? I don't think the, the only reference we have are the mocks, right? And I just don't trust them as much as I trust the opinion of the teams. That's at the core of this to me. And there's two more things, though, I think you can assess for now. Uh, and Green Bay is a perfect example, and we'll get into this, but did they draft to help now or to help later? And, and that's a great call because we're trying to assess how these teams did, and I, I've, I've got a very uh, short-term uh, projection here, RJ. I look at who I want to bet on this year. So well, that's, I, yeah, that's all you should do because there's no way to bet 
after this year. Exactly. So because of that, I'm only, as an example, if you draft a running back, that's probably going to help you more this year than other positions because oftentimes the running backs are plug and play. So I have short-term uh, vision when it comes to these sort of things. I'm looking at you know some teams I'll say, hey, I really like what, they, what they're doing because it's going to help them immediately as opposed to more of a long-term plan. Though in the last couple of years, we've had a disagreement on drafting a quarterback high. It's my belief that if you have a really bad quarterback situation and you and again, maybe Miami's the exception of this, though, Tua is an underdog right now to play week one. I think it's a 71 percent in the imputed odds. He doesn't play in week one or start in week one. Um, to me, Fitz magic is a rarity that if you're drafting, but he's older, obviously, and he is erratic. But you've got him, what, like 16th or something? Yeah, 15th. Uh, he's 37. Um, well, what's his Wonderlick, like a 48th? So, uh, well, I thought you were saying Wonderlick doesn't matter. Unless it like helps my position. Yeah, yes. Exactly. All right, that's Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell. The, in general, and, and let's use Cincinnati as an example, though, again, if they kept Andy Dalton... You know, I'd, that's an interesting question. Would you rather have this year Andy Dalton or Joe Burrow? Let me think about this because I've got Dalton. Well, hold on a second. You've always put the, like, I, I know I'm finally talking you off of this, I think, but didn't you always put the first-round quarterbacks literally at the end, like the very end? Always. And I got to tell you, you know. I, I mean, like, it's just wrong. The pe- people who listen, you know, they they give accolades to you for this, and I I, I – you know, you win a couple Westgate contests, you still have holes in your game. And I really think this was a hole. The more I thought about this, it's like I just am so used to rookie quarterbacks struggling, thinking back in the past, that I'm always putting them so low on my lists. And so I've got Joe Burrow right now, my number 33 quarterback, and I got Andy Dalton 22. So it's like, hey, even with Burrow improving throughout the year, I should still say slam dunk, Dalton should be quarterback. But how many times do I have to do things like Lamar Jackson having, in his second year, I had him as my number 29 quarterback. Yeah, but Lamar Jackson played half a season, or more than half a season before that. I think you had a feel. He just made a quantum leap. Yeah, but I like had guys like Josh Allen so low. I'm like, he's that kid's going to be a bust. You know, he's he's a developmental um, uh, problem, and he was pretty decent from the get-go. I think I... Um, have a bias too much against these rookie quarterbacks. I think the rookie quarterbacks are more ready to play than they ever have been in the NFL. Well, that's certainly true. The seven-on-sevens, the year-round stuff. I mean, you know, like the Brazilian kid with the soccer ball 24-7 growing up, and that's why they play the way they – or one of the reasons they play the way they do. And I think passing the football is becoming that in in the U.S. Um Here's what I would say. One, I have a project for pregame.com research, McKenzie. Let's, uh, next day or so, this might actually be something for tomorrow because it won't take too much. Let's take all, and let's break it up into top five picks, six through 15, or let's go six through 16, and then second half the first round, and then not first round. If it's not first round, it's all the same to me. Um, I know it's not statistically, but it's pretty close. So if they play is what I'm saying. 
So they they have a much less chance of playing the sixth round pick than the second. And now what I want is, and here's the going to be the question. I'm going to want how the those quarterbacks did their first year, second year, third year, and see if there's any trend about you know how the you know if you're in the back half of the first round you make your leap coming into year three or whatever. And I think it's fair to go back ten years, you know. So that means we'll only have like seven years of data, right? If we go minus 10 back and we want to have all, but I guess we can have one year for last year, you know, so incomplete data is better than no data uh, on the people, you know, guys drafted last year and year before and all that, that isn't three years out. And I think go by QBR. And I think if, if they don't, if they didn't rate a QBR, then put their passer rating though. To me, that's a lot less valuable. So, sure. so what we'll see, Fez, is over the court. And again, I get that whatever the uh, evolution, the improvement throughout the season is going to be, the theory is where this number is, they're going to get there by week eight, right? This is right, you know, because this is going to be, in theory, half before and half after the midpoint of the season, if they start the whole year. And thus, uh, the theory is they were probably better at the end of the year, but they were worse at the beginning of the year. So wherever we find out kind of the standard is now in year one, I think it's fair to maybe move them three, four or five slots back. But my gut feeling is we're going to find out the average rookie is like 22, 23. Yeah, I think so. And if you look at Kyler Murray, for instance, he started out, had, had a rocky patch and just got better and better throughout the year, wound up being the rookie of the year. QBR, what was he, 15th in the league. So um, just continued improvement for Murray last year. Yeah, this will be interesting. And I also think because I am officially on the street, as Bill Simmons would say, of being a uh, skeptic of a certain New York Jets quarterback that everyone seems to love. And it's feeling so much like Andrew Luck, where it it feels like there's nothing he can do that's ever going to really get heat. Oh, Sam Darnold doesn't have the right line. He doesn't have the right playmakers. He doesn't have the right coach. Ugh. All those injuries. You know, it's so hard to come back from mono. Back in high school when I – no, I never had it, but my well, friends, yeah. Yeah. they just weren't the same for months, RJ. I mean, really, you, you know, honestly, you're right. And then they were able to dismiss the, the Patriot game somehow. There was all kind. Of, you know, I made the case that no one that's played as bad – as Darnold has in his first two years, where you look at it in aggregate. Now, I know Peyton Manning had a bad first year. And maybe the better way to say it is, how did he play at the end of his second year? You know, let's say the last eight games of his second year. That no one has played as bad as Darnold and become an elite quarterback. I'm not saying he can't be the 18th best quarterback. But I don't think, you know, I, I guess the guy you got to do a caveat on is Drew Brees. You know, and some guys were just sitting, but that's not play as bad, right? Um, can you th- can anyone think, uh, McKenzie, can anyone think of a player that was so mediocre after his second, you know, ending his second year that became elite? I mean, Fez, why don't you read the top 10? Mahomes. All right, he did pretty well. Wilson. Oh, slow down. He did pretty well. Jackson. Uh, well, second year for sure. Yep. Yeah. Second year MVP. MVP yep. Watson. Yep. Breeze. Uh, again, 
I think with Breeze, you I don't know if it's fair to do this, but you go to his second year playing and he, you know, but let's call Breeze a question mark. Uh, Stafford. Right, he played well, yeah. Yeah, Prescott had a great rookie year. Uh, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I mean, remember, he, I mean, RG3 played that first year, but I mean, as soon as Cousins got in, he played well. He was getting franchised right off the go. Yep. Wentz MVP candidate. Matt Ryan, top 10. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how far you got to go back. You know, I mean, just glance at it. Can, does anything jump out? You know, Tannehill's 11. I don't know how Tannehill was. I think capable, if I recall. Yeah, but he I don't think he was much better than Darnold. I don't I don't remember exactly his second year. Um I know when he wasn't hurt, he was better than people thought. So this wasn't a huge shock, I don't think. I think him being eleven might be the shock. You know, actually for next week you got a little homework. Take a gander at his attempts. He had a game or two that he had some attempts. I mean, he was thrown like if I recall, like eighteen times a game. And I mean that's a game manager, especially if you're mobile and you're kind of in a contract year so you're not afraid to run. You add up his running. You add up how well Henry was running. Um, I, you know, I got a feeling that Tannehill's not 11. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. That's a great point, too, that in a contract year, all of a sudden you're willing to put your um – your body on the line, if you know that that might be the difference between a big contract oh, yeah. and a mediocre one, right? I'll, I'll take the injury chance for uh, a period of five games, right, RJ? And let's say this. Let's put it under a microscope because this is a have and have-nots like we've never seen, probably, almost, is Tannehill on one side, which was literally – Correct me if I'm wrong. This would have been what his sixth sixth year coming up. So this was his fifth year option. Or I'm thinking some maybe look that up, McKenzie. I I think that this year was his fifth year option. Or did he sign a? I think he actually had his fifth year option taken by Miami. Then he signed a one year contract with Tennessee. That's so, right. Okay, so six years, and now he's making whatever the sixth year seventy sticks. And Jameis Winston, after his fifth year. Signs for $1.1 million. Think about that difference. And was Tannehill, what was Tannehill's contract last year? Look that up, like over the cap, McKenzie. Is, uh, you know, I'm guessing, I, I don't have any idea. I'm guessing it was uh, nine, uh, eight, eight and a half. What do you think, Fess? Yeah, I think your number's good. Um, you certainly wouldn't expect Tannehill to have been making more than 10 mil, right? I don't know, but again, he was uh, he was certainly a preferred backup, you know, kind of like Mariota is, now, you know, with the Raiders. Raiders right. But I think he's making less than ten, so we'll see in a second. Um, Five mil against the cap. Oh, there you go. So, to me, I'm skeptical on Darnold, but I'll have more than enough time to articulate that. So, what we've agreed on so far. Is it's hard if you it's hard to know more than the GMs. The GMs felt like they had a perfect draft, given the givens. What we also know is that I could get a perfect draft from the eyes of any draftnik, any public draftnik. All I'd have to do is for every pick take the player that is the best available. 
All I did was look at the bottom of ESPN. That was my whole draft. And said, who's Kuiper got? And it's like, uh, so-and-so. Okay, put it in. It, what would Kuiper give it? <laughs> a perfect score. Perfect. Couldn't have done better. Best draft ever. Yet somehow Mayock is taking a guy that the Kuiper is like scrambling to figure out where the, who is this guy, right? And so the question becomes <clears throat> history. Now, the, what, what the Athletic did was fascinating. And, it, and this is kind of the deep dive that bears repeating. And, and you know, it's about a minute is when someone, and this is what I thought would be the case. I actually feel pretty good about this because I said something about this on Straight Out of Vegas on Monday. I said, if someone falls, it doesn't take one person, like a reach. If you make a reach, like let's say the Raiders did by consensus, against consensus, you, it only takes one team's opinion to go nab that person. But for a team... Or to, to, to draft a player that's fallen, and let's use Baltimore in the first round or Dallas in the first round, and you were very excited about Dallas's pick, is every team before Dallas said no thank you. So let's say, what, what do you think? He was six slots late, maybe? I think Lamb was, his over-under was like 14, so like three slots late. All right, so really that's it? All right, so the the theory is that three teams said no, and then Jerry Jones said yes. Do we really think that's a – now, I get it. Those teams might not have needed a receiver, whatever. But when someone drops, like, you know, 20 slots or whatever, I mean, to some degree, you got to think wisdom of crowd says that it's not a good pick because I trust those GMs that said no more than I trust the mocks that are assessing where it should be. Yeah, it's a great point that when nobody is taking Jake from and it goes through the entire third round and he was supposed to be gone at the end of the second round, what's going on, right? Which quarterback did you think had the chance to actually be the fifth first-round quarterback? Oh, gosh. And this was a horrible bet I made on the podcast. I was lucky to push. Uh, I played over four, lay minus 150 like six weeks ago. And this was back when they were talking about Eason and they were talking about Fromm. And it was unlikely that any of these guys would move up into the first round. But at that time, it was like, hey, you got the big three. Yeah, except what happens if someone blows out their knee? Well, what, in, in, in biology class? Well, I mean, I guess this year they're not working out as much. But, I mean, you don't think those guys are getting ready for the combine and all the different things they do? Yeah, I, I just – I mean, the bottom line is the top three quarterbacks could have blown out their knee and they still would have gone in the first round. And Jordan Love, that was back when he was supposed to get picked 14th or well, 15th. Well, listen, let's say this. You – and against my better judgment, you excelled in the draft. So give us your uh, podcast – results and then give us your personal results which were outstanding all right so on the pod three oh and one i played the quarterbacks in round one over four terrible bet got got away with the push uh played andrew thomas to go under ten and a half he uh went fourth played the sec under 15 and a half in the first round Ooh, 15 right snuck out the win by half 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 a player as they say and then um jordan love over 15 and a half on the podcast well that one was a Solid selection. So three zero and one on the pod in my own personal bets. Sixteen two and one. RJ. And how about the releases at pregame.com? 
And at pregame.com, I gave out three official releases, winners, three strong opinions, as I like to call them. They all won as well. Oh, so you actually gave six picks out, and he went 6-0. and Yes. Wow. Hard to complain about that. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I want to give credit because I was um, working a lot with Tommy, uh, the hitman, who is just— Listen, listen. Yeah. We all work with everybody. Right. I mean, what I'm saying is it's how you distill it down is the ultimate question. Right. I never think when I make picks that, oh, Fez helped that you're a piece of information. You're a data point to me, buddy. That's it. You're lying on an Excel sheet. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I Hopefully be. a bolded data point. Well, <laughs> some, it, maybe, maybe it matters if you're, you know, but to me, I, I think we got to reevaluate my default, it's funny, there's certain wise guy ways that you won't bet, even though I think it's like I made an instantaneous bet on Tua to go second. Uh, w- that would have been the day before the draft, right? It was Wednesday or was it? It was actually the day of I okay, believe, that's... Yeah, day of the draft. And this was so strong, RJ, that Wednesday night we all went to sleep and Herbert and Tua were pick em. And then you came in Thursday morning, and what did you see that put you on Tua? Well, what we saw was the market went from around Pickham, who was going to be the second quarterback drafted, to Tua being like minus 170. And the movement, it just was an information move. And just like I said in the opposite direction, unless you know that Washington was going to take a given player, it was hard to be sure and that's why, actually, if you think about it, the line move initially that had Herbert at like all the way up to what? Plus 280 at some points? Yes. Then it was plus 200 for a long while. They bet it all the way down to around even money, but they still took the plus money the whole time. And I think they thought it was a coin flip. <clears throat> and, they, and the guys that were originating probably weren't betting still at plus 130, but the followers were or whatever. But that actually told you when it didn't go up to the minus money – and, and we speculated on this. Remember, it was like, well, what odds would you actually put on it? My thought was initially it was like minus 200. Then I'm like, wait a minute, this stopped for a reason. It was like at the end of Survivor when they recorded everything except the last two, they would have like the last two around plus 105, like seven, eight weeks before the end of the season. And everyone else is 12 to one. Right. But you can't know beyond even money at that point. Right. For sure. And I think eventually what they found out was, hey, at least half the teams like Herbert better. If we're getting plus 200, this is gold. And they bet it, bet it, bet it. But then they stop betting it around even money. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I think it Appreciate goes... Appreciate that, sir. Well, and also you brought up the great point that, hey, the movement between mock drafts three and four and four and five, all of that pales compared to the last piece of information, the last mock draft the day of the draft. And if I remember right, McKenzie, how did those uh, picks do? Nine and two. Yeah, so let's put this in our pocket for next year, right? Is we'll do whatever on the mocks before, but the day of the draft, maybe the day before, but I think day of, it becomes information-based, a lot of those mocks. And when someone was 26 and they jump up to 15, it's not just a general they're shooting up the draft board. They've got someone telling them, they're going to take him at 15. And if you actually look at 10 mocks, they all got their own sources. So you, it's not about a consensus. And I actually think, Mackenzie, that was a bad way you did it. I think we should just pick the mocks we value and up to 10 even, 
Like any of the NFL Network guys take it seriously. And then look at the biggest discrete jumps from one mock to the other on just one pick or, or, or you know, draft Knicks mocks. I think that's enough because that's his source, potentially. Yeah, I like that. One of the draftees that or mock drafters that has a great reputation, Scott Smith, didn't have Henry Ruggs in his first one week before. On his last one, he had him 12 exactly where he went, number 12. Now I'm that's, not sure if that was yeah. information or what. Well, it sounds like it doesn't. It does. It does. And obviously, if the Raiders are going to, I mean, if anything, we should have been all over that because, I mean, who would have connections with Mayock if not the NFL Network, guys? Right. Right. Yeah. Same circles. Somehow you left that on the table. Well, we indirectly got at it because we played Jerry Judy to go over 12 and a half. So, so when do I get my envelope? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, what's funny? I'm confused about how there's laughter. Were you in on that, McKenzie? No, I didn't, I didn't get oh, that okay. on JJ. I wish. I would have been mad. I would have taken 10% of that. <laughs> Give me 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, bringing it back around, I, I do think that the idea of how is this help now or help later matters, draft equity matters, and did they fill a spot that was a spot of need? Because – Nobody drafts purely on need. Nobody drafts purely on the best on the board. Nobody does, right? No way. This Green Bay pick wouldn't be so dramatic. You might say, well, they traded up. They got formulas for that. They know how much it costs to trade up four spots. So if there's a guy there that is better than that position by the proper amount, they want to trade up at that point because it's a value. It's not just you wait. I mean, imagine there's a situation where uh, there's a certain – way houses are auctioned off and it costs you an extra 20k so in the analogy that's the trade-up all right is and maybe it's well it was a fourth round pick yeah let's call it 20k and now the question is well how much do you think the house has to be underpriced in order to quote unquote trade up or go to the auction that adds on the surcharge of 20k well by 20k so they can say how much is a fourth round pick if that's what we can trade it for you subtract that, is there still great value? If there is, they want to trade up at that point. But if it was just, oh, hey, best value on the board, why would this be a big conversation? So obviously some teams are more the best player and other teams are less, but no one's all need, no teams. No teams are all best player. But man, oh, man, if they pick someone they need and it's a good pick – you got to value that more than not. If they're picking a lineman that won't even – like the Saints you know, picked a lineman that won't even start in theory, though there's speculation that one of the linemen they might actually cut that's on the last year of his contract. He's a good lineman, but he's expensive. Uh, again, I'm just regurgitating that. But in general, if I see someone making a pick like the Saints did two years ago when they traded up and traded the next year's number one – to get uh, that small school pass rusher, I don't think he's really panned out, but they were going for the last thing they thought they needed. I value that draft more, and I'm not assessing how good the player is. I'm saying there's a greater chance of impact this year. Makes sense. So if you have one specific need, you're willing to mortgage the future. You get your guy that you want. I don't care about the future right now. Why would you when Drew Brees is 41? No, but I'm saying I don't care about the future as a batter. I'm not judging how well the Saints franchise did. 
I'm judging how much did the Saints improve. Yeah, exactly right. I'm I'm looking at season win numbers this year and how I think teams are going to do. Yeah, if I'm a fan of a team, that's a different conversation. Probably not one I'm having on the podcast. <laughs> I tend to try not, except for my dear Abby, which is mighty good. Who are we kidding? Dear Abby? <laughs> Mackenzie, can you help? I cannot. Hollywood. It's a letter. To- oh, my gosh. So what was what I was saying was, I see, listen, Fez, maybe... Maybe I, I, that's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to go around the horn before I get mad at you about anything. Is except, you know, Matt won't do too well in the handicapping stuff. But oh, I'll take a guess. All right, go ahead. Uh, it, no, no, no. I, I've been on the handicapping. Oh, stuff. yes, but you won't take a guess on my podcast. Only if I can agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, even that, even that, we, we'll save it. But the point I was going to make is I don't tend to talk about things I'm not an expert at, except my dear Abby which is I've been doing extensive conversations about relationships and stuff on the podcast. And then I said, but, you know, that's mighty strong. Yeah, my only... Um, no, hold on, hold on. Are we getting the Dear Abby reference yet, anybody? Completely, 100%. Uh, I got it now. Good job, Steve. Go ahead. In fact, I thought about it for a week after you talked about it. Where were you well, back? Well, yeah, yeah. Where were you back in 2004? Uh, <laughs> I was giving my friends that advice. I'm still thinking about it, RJ. <laughs> so, um, Steve, continue. I'm sorry. I lost train of thought here. Oh, no worries. Okay. So we were talking about that all that really matters is this year. And when it comes to our assessments of the draft, and there's a lot of ways that the draft can impact the teams, but it's not based on, oh, they got this guy in a good position. I don't believe it. And again, we've got years of data now from the athletics saying that even a composite of 50 of the best grades is not any better than the one GM or the one decision maker on each team. Yeah, and I think when Vegas grades... When you say yeah like that, you've been counter to that for 30 years. I have been. And you you bring up a great point that, hey... It's immutable. You can't defend... And you get all these, hey, this team got an A, the Bears get an F, and they go... and, and, And people act like this is the defining moment that has ruined a team or that has vaulted a team to success. And the bottom line is, if you look at the Vegas betting markets, the season win numbers, it's virtual crickets, meaning there's almost no move. All the moves that are occurring are are subtle and small. Well, hold on a second. There's a team, if I recall, that you were preaching the under on that actually moved up, what, 0.7 games, right? Well, the Indianapolis Colts mm-hmm. actually moved up the most. They were like 8.6 in terms of season wins, and they moved up to 9. Okay, so it was only 0.4. I thought it was more than that. Okay, but still, a half a game, I mean, that's like 40 cents. Yeah, that's and that's... Uh, that's the biggest mover. Yeah, it's a big move. It is a big move. Yes. So how, how, when did you put your bet in on the Colts? Uh, it was about two months ago. I played under nine wins. So you're pretty much at even money right now. So now I pretty much got, yeah, I, I didn't get the better of any of the numbers. And it was an anti-Philip Rivers bet. And I told you you were wrong. You did. And I said, he shot puts the ball, RJ. He, he always shot put at the he, ball. And, you, and, you, and, and he's he, probably he, going to make the Hall of Fame. That's his standard um, throwing motion. I'm like, well, now he shot the, the, the shot put has gotten heavier. Because well, let me say this. I actually have a theory about you that just has emerged in the last week. 
I actually think that any normal sports interaction you have is a bad thing for you because you're a master at, I, I don't want to say aggregating information because I, don't, I think it's more than aggregating assumes it's all weighted the same, is making a amalgam of information might be the right way to say it. Look up amalgam, Mackenzie. Amalgamation? E, or, but I think an amalgamation is the verb. Well, well, look it up. I think, it, yeah, I know. That's interesting. Is the noun, yeah, look that up and get the definition. But I think amalgam is a word. Hmm. But you got it? It is. It is a word. So Mackenzie Yale was trying to correct me. Hmm. A, a mixture or a blend rather than an amalgamation, which is the action, process, or result of combining or uniting. So RJ gets this one. Wow. I didn't even know they were two different words, though. So they're two separate words. They sound like they have almost the same definition. Read it again. So amalgam, a mixture or a blend. Amalgamation, the action, process, or result of combining or uniting. Blending. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it is the same word. And oh, by the way, see, here's what people don't understand about communication. When Mackenzie goes, oh, RJ gets that one. Well, what's the implication? That, that I've ever been right, ever? The, 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 no, no, but there's like, that it's like, oh, it's about 50-50. <laughs> yeah. You see what you're trying to do there? I mean, it's it's the devious. Steve, He's a, you guys are more alike than you realize, I think. Oh, Mackenzie and I? We yeah. have a kindred spirit. That, it, yes. No, he went to a much better school than you. <laughs> oh, you think? Yale versus it, Northwestern. I mean, it's it's much like, better. It's kind of like the, when the challenger comes in for the presidential debate, just being in the arena really lifts my you know esteem quite a bit. Hey, when I played in the Pan American games in chess. Well, first off, I'm not saying that, that you're anywhere near the handicapper he is yet. I'm saying you guys are, have a lot of the deviousness that is very similar. <laughs> is really what I meant to say. Go ahead, Pat. Our chess team uh, did outperform Yale's chess team at the Pan American games. So Pan American games, like they used to have, like every second year after the Olympics. So you're saying the whole world competed in this? I just know I was in Toronto playing for the Northwestern Chess Well, hold team. on a second. You don't know who was, you were playing against? I just know it was a chess tournament. I didn't see anything, anybody else competing. So Wait, they what do you it, mean? You, who were you playing against? It was Northwestern playing against all the other major universities. Okay, so what you're saying is there was no one from across the world. It was the American universities playing. Uh, schools were from the U.S. and Canada. Okay, so effectively, schools from America were playing. Yes. What is the best school in, in, in Canada? I had a friend that went to McGill in Toronto. Never heard of it. I, he said it was nice. <laughs> nice. It's you tough. mean like a buffet, like a, a Sunday brunch. <laughs> they call it the Harvard of Canada. Well, <laughs> that's, that's kind of sad, actually. <laughs> of all the kind of, you know, Canada's America's hat, I mean, that might be the worst. They call it the Harvard of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> what does Alaska call the Harvard of Alaska? <laughs> Lordy B. So, Steve, so what you're saying is when you throw Pan American games out, you, you wanted it to sound like almost Olympic level. But in truth, it was some, you know, colleges were playing each other. Exactly. But were you on the first team of the college chess team? Yeah, it was third board. So you were the third best chess player. Wh which year? This was my freshman year. So 1982. So did you play all four years? No, I quit after my freshman year. Wow. That's going to be a story. Not now. Let's save that. 
We've got a dry period potentially coming up, but we got a lot of interesting stuff. You know, Belichick versus Brady, all that kind of stuff. You know, the, you know, almost Vegas does sports talk, which is fun, right? If we do it right. But I can't imagine that. Huh. I have some theories because if you can, but for the dedicated listeners, if you combine his multiple knee injuries <laughs> with the quitting a chess team that played in the Pan American games, <clears throat> impressive. That is just weird. All right. I almost want to get into it now, but I can't. So, what other teams moved in any major way? And I'm going to be honest, name three or four and. Do a sentence on each because I have a, a, some cookies over here. I'm going to go grab. So go. Yeah. So the Green Bay Packers were at nine and a quarter. They've dropped to nine on season wins, and a lot of that is about obviously Jordan Love not expected to help the team in their first in his first year with the Packers and giving up the fourth round draft pick along with the possible toxic uh, energy on the Packers. So the Packers did go down. The Bears went down from, they were eight and a half, and now eight and a half, it's minus 135 to the under. So almost a quarter of a season win drop, and the feeling was the betters, maybe they're overreacting here. Hold on a second. How many cents did it move? 25 cents. So that would be half of a half. Okay, because 50 cents for half. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, so I I could have just said a fourth. No, 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 no. You you said a quarter. It just, I, I was thinking it through. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think a big part of this is just everybody. This could be just public money, RJ. Everyone's like, the Bears have have 12 tight ends already. What are they doing with another one? With oh, I, I think it probably is. Or it's it's quasi-sharps. And, and again, I was starting to say, I believe that we got off on amalgam, uh, and me being happened to be right here, is uh, it's tied, I think it's tied now with McKenzie, <laughs> is the idea that, you are so good at taking info and, and giving it its proper slot. You just aren't, you know, it's, it's weight. You're just horrible at these press reports. Like the, the narratives out there, you have no idea what matters. You really don't. So whenever you start grabbing stuff that you could have got on Sports Center as part of your handicap is when I run the other way. So in general, I think there's guys, you know, again, I consider, and I say this sincerely, you're the best public NFL handicapper, in my opinion. And obviously the two super contests back that up, but it's more than that. It's every you know week. But I think when you start throwing in things that you could have heard on SportsCenter and you just happen to hear like maybe a sixth of those, like if there's whatever amount of those there's out there in the zeitgeist in a given week, you probably have about one out of six of them that you even are aware of. But you, but they're dangerous. It's like a kid with a gun. Mm. You you want to you want to just put that stuff down as rumor or like, and and again, think about it. Think about your natural instinct as you get it, because I see you pulling stuff from stray places all the time that are, are public knowledge, and that's dangerous because if you're doing the same thing the public is with it. Then, then you're going to be batting with the public. Yeah, and here's a public move. Dallas getting Lamb at number 17, and Dallas's season win number went from 9.5 up to 9.7.
because, uh, frankly— Guys like you, quite frankly, who are great batters, but maybe not knowing how to assess the draft. Yep, yep. Uh, I do think a more legit move was Miami went from six to uh, six and a quarter in terms See, of— See, I don't like that at all. What's the chance Tua doesn't play this year at all? And if they if he doesn't, how good of a draft was this? Well, I, think, I really think the feeling was that there was certainly a chance that Miami was going to have to trade up to number three. Yeah, but still, that, that so you're saying that somehow giving up next year's number one— was somehow going to affect this year? What are you talking well, no, no. about? If they traded from three to five. Oh, they... yeah, you would have given up a ton. Maybe not next year's number one, but next year's number two. What do you think three I, to five is? I, 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 well, listen, I, let's not debate. Mackenzie, pull up. It doesn't matter. Chase Stewart's draft chart. And, and it's easy. Find the, the differential between five and three, and then go see what draft choice that is. All right, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, so I think that Miami. I know but if this somehow all, they would have given up a second. Even I know this is. Yeah, I, I know this is all. It's all bullshit. It, it's it, all already. So why are you continuing with it? I think that people just don't react enough to what's in front of them in terms of information. I and now you you were touting the fact, hey, Miami has all this draft capital already, but then people are looking, look at all these picks, these three first rounders. Well, listen, if someone's moving off of something that's months old then they're not a professional batter. Or maybe they are. They're just really, really got a hole in their game. Well, I think that the season wins somewhat have a hole in their game this early in, in the process too, RJ. What's the limits right now? Most places, 500 to 1,000. And how many outs? Like you've got 29 outs. Yeah, and like 9 or 10. That's more than that. About half of them have season wins up. So if you, you could get seven dimes off if you just play to Nick whatever he plays. Yes. All right, but I'll make a bold prediction that that Miami season win just keeps moving up because the narratives are they did so well with free agency and they did well in the draft. So if you are if you do like Miami over, I would bet it now. Now, what number did we bet at in in your theory? Six and a half over six over six. And what's the current number? Six and a quarter. So in year two, I'm already ahead of the game. Oh no, we bet seven. We bet seven. Oh no, yeah, bull crap. <laughs> nah, bull no, I got, crap. I got, I got other references. Oh, yeah, Check yeah. with the it's other not, guy. Except we got you saying six just a second ago. I didn't know what you're. I, I, I thought you meant what I just bet, not what I bet against you. I like, said we. Right. I don't. I, this idea there's a royal we here is not what I how I talk. When I say we bet, it means we bet, and it was six. Flag the tape, Hollywood. Flagged it. I mean, Steve, you're saying it now, right? It so, was seven. Oh, well, again, I'm, it's easy when you realize that you got to start lying again. I'm not lying. <laughs> All right. Get in the lie detector. Put me down. So, so uh, just real quick, RJ, the number three pick, according to Chase Stewart, is approximately like the number five pick plus the number 40th pick. So, oh, let me second, think, round. Uh, second round, huh? Hmm. Anything else, Steve? No. I mean, why do you guys keep quiet? When am I... Uh, I don't want to say that. What do you think my record is on these things? Well, I remember you won 11 straight bets against us and uh, green button bets this fall. So, Well, good. that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of luck, meaning I might have been at 55%. I don't even know that against Steve. Well, I probably was. But because, again, game selection, as I've said. But, Steve, when it comes to something like this, like, do you see how – Dangerous, you're like a kid with a loaded gun with this draft. You don't understand the draft. Why don't you just say it? I don't understand the draft, but I understand <laughs> betting the draft. Oh, well, again. Big difference. Big I, difference. Well, listen, I still don't like that. I know you went 16-2 and two or whatever, and it's back to the idea this market is so inefficient 
that when someone comes in and says, hey, Mel Kuyper <laughs> says this, and I'm batting it. That sounds insane to me. But it's not that it's just Mel Kuyper says this. It's that the the sharpest betting books are moving on that player before Mel Kuyper comes out with his adjusted. Well, then then I'm confused then. If the, if the books are moving, then how is it a good bet? Because the books are have been taught wrong how okay, to Okay, so what the you're numbers. saying is the books moved a certain amount. You think it should have moved more. Exactly. So, so you're using circular logic. So it's not the books that make it a good bet. It's the books that made the move. It's not you got to go beyond that for the good bet. And you know what? It's Mel freaking Kuiper. Why do you keep debating me? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I hear you. You're saying you think that there is a bias or a, a default error in the way they approach this type of in, or information, and thus it causes them not to move it enough. Exactly, because when they move a point spread, normally like, hey, we moved that game a point. That's more than enough. Okay, but the question is, the money, are they moving because of Kuiper or, or, or initially or because of the money? Someone betting Kuiper. They're just moving because someone's betting. Okay, so then at a certain point, the betting stops. So we're saying the market, just like I like Tua at minus 170, because, again, that was information, though, right? Even though the line had stopped running, I mean, it, like it was done be running at that point, you know, from Pick'em or whatever right. after 170. I still thought this is information, so it must, it's got to be worth more than 70 cents. And I was right on that one, but, uh, again, it wasn't a short thing, but, I don't see how a mock draft changing three weeks ago, meaning it's not the information type moves, is going to be something where it's supposed to run that much. Like, how much is the line supposed to move? Like, you know, explain, and then we'll move on. Explain to me the the Jared Love bet. Like, what was your rationale? Because that was a good bet. So make make that case. Yeah, so... There was a reversal in the Jared Love uh, stock, if you will. Jared Love stock had been rising. His name's Jordan Love. Jordan Love. Jared? Did I say Jared? Jarrett, you were saying. <laughs> I don't know where that like came the, from. Like the pedophile dude from Subway. Yeah, let's not talk about him. So Jordan Love had been bet favorably up until like February. And all of a sudden, the so market... So favorably means that his over-under pick slot was going down. Yeah, so I saw as low as, I think, 12 and a half was the lowest it ever got to. And then starting in February, all of this love for love started to cease. And you start to see his stock dropping pretty much universally with each successive mock draft. And along with in the betting markets, you saw those 12 and abs turn into 13 abs, 14 abs. And then the VIG at the sharpest books really started like under 14 and a half and 15 and a half became minus 130, then minus 160. Are you going to tell, are you going to, expl- I mean, I don't need a blow by blow. Explain to me why you like the bet, please. Because I saw the sharpest books absolutely selling on Jordan Love. All right, so this was like a pinnacle lean. Yes. Which is very different than anything else you've been talking about. Yes. All right. And that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think I was hypersensitive to monitoring that because I bet those over four quarterbacks, RJ, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy is starting to free fall. He could even fall out of the first round. Who in the hell is Mel Kuyper? He's never been a coach. He's never been a scout. Mel Kuyper has no more credentials than my neighbor, and my neighbor's a postman, and he doesn't even have season tickets to the NFL. Fez, you know less than Mel Kuyper about the draft. 
<laughs> no doubt. <laughs> And I've attended fewer games, I'm sure, as you, well. You know what's funny? I would pay a thousand bucks to have a room full of people and do like a um, not a peer review, but do like where they test customer consumer behavior. Is of people who thought RJ's Fezzik won two super contests. What's he saying? He doesn't know the draft. And then just seeing that, and we would tell them as the pod progresses, when you, if you start to believe Fezzik doesn't know about the draft, just stand up and walk out. It would have been so funny to see the room full of people. And then in the last 15 minutes, just like three people stand up. Like every sentence you said almost would have like got people out of that room. And then when you said Jarrett love, it was like the last guy slammed the door. No, they would have waited for my best bet. (laughs) No, listen, you read the market. Well, all I'm going to say is this. You've got a prop bet next year that will do something like you got to bet 10 or more, and are you going to hit 56%? And since you went 17-2 and two or whatever, you should be all anxious to do that, and I'll bet you a, a prop bet. You don't go, you know, 50, 55.9 will be the over-under. It's an illiquid market, and I'll make you a major bet on that. I think you got lucky this year. And again, to some degree, I'm happy you did. Well, I'm certainly happy you did. I just don't want it to be opening up the floodgates on this stuff because it just doesn't make sense to me. How many of them were close amongst these? Uh, two of them I snuck out by half a, a point. That's yeah. it. But, I mean, otherwise they were all, like, easy wins? They really were. Uh, maybe. All right. What was the one the, the one on the under for the Raiders receiver, was it? Yeah, Jerry Judy over uh, – no, Ruggs I didn't bet, but Judy I bet over 12.5, and, and the Raiders didn't take him. He won 15th. I played over 12.5. So over 12.5 and, and 15th, that was easy. 13, 14, 15. So there's three slots that could have won. All right, that's half easy, I think, I guess. Andrew Thomas under 10.5. He went fourth. Now that was one of the steam guys, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Now I believe in the steam stuff. Right, because I I think that last the thing, and let me be clear, the things I didn't like were the bets where it was three weeks ago and it was off of something Mel Kiper did, and who in the hell is Mel Kiper? That will be the question I think of this the century <laughs> when it comes to the draft. And again, I love Mel Kiper. He's a hype man. He and he knows his stuff as well as you know. It seems to me, I don't know as well as anyone these days, but he certainly is competent. Right, there's some hardcore guys at NFL Network that are watching crazy amounts of tape, and I love that. I mean, I, I, little advice: I spent far more than half my post-draft time listening to the NFL Network shows, um, because they just know that they have four guys there that just really know their stuff. So they broke down every round, and you know, it's on YouTube. I'd highly recommend it. All right, other than Philadelphia and Hertz, and other than Jarrett Love, is there any other stories we want to touch on in uh, when it comes to the team, specific teams, and you know the whole ten tight ends with Chicago? Except who's the good guys, right? And there's really not a good answer there, right? You agree with me there? Yeah, Jimmy Graham is not a good tight end anymore. Yeah, I mean he he might be good in a very specific spot. Around the end, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, you, it's not like you don't need to draft a tight end. If you, and my, What I'm hearing is that Nagy wants to run literally some four tight end sets. 
So, you know, this is moving towards the whole multiple Belichick idea, you know, that these tight ends are like, you know, they're like a big nickel safety. They can do a lot of different things. And especially if you got different talents amongst the tight ends and they're going in motion and swap. I mean, you can see a, a good coach. I don't know yet that Nagy is. I know everyone thinks he is. I, I don't know yet, right? He didn't even call plays until Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. And his uh, body of work is called Mitchell Trubisky. Mitch, as I call him. By the way, this 50-year option stuff is fascinating. So by Sunday, every team, and this is the draft that happened just three years ago. So before the fourth season, you've got to decide on the fifth-year option. I think it's May 3rd. So Sunday is the deadline. And if you're picked in the top 10, you are the average of the top 10 players at that position. So it'd be about the fifth player. I mean, you know, the average would be about the fifth player. Um because half's gonna, you know, right around half's gonna be making more, half's gonna be making less, right? On average. Okay. But if you're outside the top 10, it's the average between three and 32, which I figure to be around 15, but, you know, I don't know if that's right. But I think I, so I wonder, remember Bill Parcells when he had the number one pick with Miami was gonna wait till like the fifth pick? He just was gonna not make the pick. And then the next team can jump up. That's how it works. Remember Baltimore did that mm, once? Yeah. And he felt like the way that the, the um, salaries were slotted and, and really, uh, oh, God, I, I can't believe I forgot him already. The dude with the knee that was with the Rams, then he got signing. Uh, Todd Gurley? No, no, no. The, the quarterback. It always got hurt. He was the number one pick, and he signed. Oh, Sam Bradford. Yeah, Bradford. Like seven, yeah, Oklahoma, seventy-seven million or whatever it was. Like that is was crazy relative to today's numbers, which is much more reasonable. And I wonder if you're the tenth pick, and you literally are going to have to fifth that fifth-year option that's very valuable. You're going to have to pay on average the fifth highest at the position. And if you wait one pick, it's the 15th highest at the position, which means literally average. Well, I guess if it's a quarterback, it's average. But if there's multiple, you know, wide receivers or whatever. But that's gigantic. Trubisky, they say the estimate, they don't know the exact numbers. It's going to be like $24 million to get his fifth-year option because he was top 10. Wow. Now, listen, I'm not saying – that I would drop him four, but you got to wonder, hey, look up their draft chart again. What is the draft value between 10 and 11, and how does that compare to the 15, especially if you're picking a quarterback? And, RJ, you look at 10 and 11, that's, you know, that's just what the chart says. You well could say, you know what? We got these two guys yeah, as That's a, a great heat. point. That's a great point. Now, I'm not sure if the current contract does that still. Because I heard something about if they play a lot, it, they've added another factor to it, how much they're playing. So I don't know. Um, did you have that, Mackenzie? Yeah. The difference between 10 and 11 is the 122nd pick. Wow. Yeah. So fourth round. Yeah. So it's a fourth rounder versus if you're picking a quarterback, I'm certain you'd rather pick him at 11. But now the question is, could you really like two quarterbacks? 
right, that much. So it's interesting. It's interesting. Now, um, Watson was like out, you know, like 11 or 12. So it was obviously they were going to pick him up anyway. But at the year before, the fifth year option is that this year's the fifth year. So obviously, Winston's an example of that. Um, 17 got picked up, 14 didn't, and Patriots didn't have a pick because of Deflate Gate. So that is, uh, it's interesting. It's not much more than half, which tells me you're probably making it too expensive, you know, for the NFL. But the idea that this fifth year is this cost certainty. Well, yeah, it's certainly a lot. So the 11th pick is actually, in many ways, more valuable than the 10th pick. If Again, I'm not sure that the current collective bargaining agreement has the exact same terms. This, this reminds me of in poker, apparently there's times having going all in with pocket 10s is better than pocket jacks. Well, yeah, I wish there was games going. I want to play right now. Well, online, apparently. If you want to play me, I'll, I'll go get a deck of cards. I don't know, but okay. Kenji was playing a lot. Yeah, I, I was at the tables more recently. You know something? Ago. You know something? That's what we'll do when we come back. This this might be one of my top twelve ideas this year. I, because of your dismissiveness, that is so unwarranted, crazily so. I am gonna back McKenzie against you. You guys play heads up, and McKenzie. Your pedigrees one, two. We've talked about this, and you played for what, like less than a year, hardcore, right? Yeah, about six months. So really, what you're saying is you weren't making much money, or you wouldn't have quit. I was, I was profitable. So <laughs> I wasn't making much money. You weren't making much money. All right, and you were playing one, two at like Westgate. Yeah, they give you comps, and you were trying to get like the, you were trying to get the Westgate almost unedible, inedible buffet. <laughs> Yeah, it was good back then. I liked it. No, it wasn't good back then. <laughs> it was the LVH. It the wasn't day. good. I've had it every year. It was never good. It's one of those buffets like from literally the 80s that has like everything. And they have like expensive food, but it's all like three days old, longer. <laughs> it's like all like, like it's, it's like, like, I don't even know how to explain. You've eaten there, Fez, right? Yes. Would you agree? Yes. All right. So that's Imper- Imperial Palace back in the 80s. Oh, RJ. my gosh, that was bad. Th- th- that's the level you were working at, McKenzie. Yale graduate <laughs> trying to scrounge around a buffet from Jay Cornegay. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a nightmare. So what I would say is this. You proved you're not great at poker. Here's the rules. 100 big blinds, best of three. That way one hand doesn't kill it. And I need a handicap, though. And here's the ingenuitive way, I think. And this is why it's such a good idea. You got six hours to bring him down, Fez. And if not, I win the bet. That's my handicap. It's no lay price or whatever. Is if McKenzie can hold on for six hours. Now, he doesn't care. In fact, McKenzie, I don't want you cross-betting this. Because then you'll play slow. You won't take a lot of risks. I don't want that. I want you to try to win. Right, because we want it to be fun, and Hollywood, we're going to record this, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so this is going to be great. I and again, let's not go crazy. Let's do a nickel. Fez, you up for that? Oh, absolutely. You you're that confident. You want to go a dime? 
Like I said, a nickel. <laughs> Nickel's good. How, how odd. Mackenzie, you should be. You know something? I'm going to give him one chance. But he has to take the whole nickel. Mackenzie, do you want the second nickel? Absolutely. Oh, Whoa. I love it. So, Steve, you just screwed yourself. Because now whatever style he plays, he plays. It's fine. No, you're worried at this point. Well, I'm worried if he's like if he takes ten minutes. Per no, 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 none of that. But if he's he's gonna play, he's gonna play like he's on the bubble the whole time. I'll just grind him down. I'm gonna, ah! I'm gonna win two zero. <laughs> well, I'll bet you a nickel on that. <laughs> All right, so there it is, and I think we start this thing ASAP. We need the content, so. I mean, Matt, you got to figure out the shooting, the camera stuff, and and get this. I mean, Faz, I think by next week we got some hands in, right? Absolutely. This, this isn't going to be like get the, these get these cameras ready. Let's go. We'll get them ready. And, and here's the rule: the week before the NBA starts, if you're not done yet, you guys come in, and it's going to start and end at least the six hours at that point, whatever it, the count is. You're going to finish it that day. So we'll be settled before the NBA is back. I love that. All right? Yes. But I want you guys to play along the way. Yep. This will be like the Dur Challenge, except it's for $500. And it's with McKenzie and Fezzik. But otherwise, like the Dur Challenge. Somebody get a lineup on this. All right. That's it for the poker. Well, that's interesting. You mean on the actual, yeah. What would you put the number? I'm going to put the number in my head real quick. This will be our last thing on poker. I'm going to put the number in my head. Don't say it yet. I'll tell you when I have my number. Uh, how much luck is there? Uh, okay. Uh-huh. I got it. I got my number. Go ahead, Fez. What's yours? Fez minus $1.15. Really? Really. Not counting the six hours. Just who's going to win? I'm factoring in the six hours, but I can I can alter my play if necessary if we're heading down that road. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what it was about. Because it's hard to guess on the six hours. I have the number in my head of who wins the two out of three. You got a number? I'm a small favorite. So you're a small favorite with the six hours, but you're a small favorite without the six hours. I don't hours. think it's going to go six hours. Yeah. So effectively, you're saying my handicap is meaningless. It's not meaningless, but I mean... But I don't think it's going to be the deciding factor. Six hours is a long time. I agree. I think that you're. I was making you two forty. Really? I yeah. I. Uh, I mean, I obviously am taking the worst of it here, even with the six hours. But it will be so sweet. It's like I'm really getting four to one. Because I'll never let you forget it. <laughs> I mean, like I'm betting a nickel. For like 10 years of joy. So, I think it's a good bet. <laughs> well, you're a lot better than plus 2-4. You can just go all in with 8-10 every time. I'm not going to pick up enough pairs. All in every time. You, you mean that way it would just be coin flip? Yeah, but... If I you, get ace-king, I'm only 60-40, right? Yeah, but... When I, all win every time, but then, but that's not the way it works because you're only going to win the blinds when when you don't have something, and and then it's going to be pretty easy to figure what hands in the. It's like AC Ducey at that point, right? Is what, when do you get to sixty five percent, and then you you make a stand? Like, what are you talking about? How would that be a good strategy? Well, I'm saying 
that even if I pick up you Ace You don't know draft? If, you don't know if poker. If I pick up Ace King and it's got two garbage cards, I'm still only 60-40. Yeah, but still, it's how many? I mean, the fact that we're going 100 big blinds three times, I, I just don't think 1% of, the, of your stack is going to be worth that kind of play. Though I do think it's interesting. In a way, maybe his better strategy is more aggression, try to make these more flips. But again, he's not at minus 240. He's at even money. Exactly. But he's got the six hours, too. He made the same bet as me. Uh-huh. All right. It's going to be interesting. And you have to tune in next week. Because <laughs> I, I think our goal should be we can announce when the, vi- the video is out or it's going to be out next Wednesday. Sounds All right. Good. Love it. All right. Hollywood says we're on. We're on. And. That's the end of the poker talk. Okay. All right. Let's get focused now. Keep the momentum when it comes to the draft, Fez. So we've talked macro. Let's talk micro. Just give me some impressions. This doesn't have to be some global, you know, uh, theory of relativity, but rather, hey, I like this. I like that. I'll give you an example. I like Simmons. I think that's the name that Arizona picked because here's a guy, he's a big nickel. There we go. Type safety could be a linebacker, could be a safety. And you're thinking, okay, effectively he's a, a, can run really well. And why is that good? I think it's good for two reasons. I think it's generally good. I think it's better for Arizona because with a college coach there, he's not going to be stuck in the conventional NFL way of playing things. Thus he might think outside the box Number two, think about that division. You put a spy on Russell Wilson, or at least you're tracking him down, wow, twice a year, and lo and behold, you're going against a tight end named Kittle twice a year. I think Simmons is most valuable in the NFC West. That level, of, you know, we're not talking about Arizona, you know, so don't feel like you need to have anything you think that is noteworthy, hit us. All right, let's talk about the Carolina Panthers. I think this is a team that we can selectively bet their games to go under the total, RJ. Obviously, seven draft selections. Carolina goes for defense on all seven picks. Normally, I'd say, wait a minute, that narrative is going to be too obvious. People are going to be looking to play under for Carolina. However, Carolina, brand-new head coach Matt Rule, they bring in Teddy Bridgewater, and they bring in new offensive coordinator Joe Brady, And there's going to be plenty of talk about how, hey, that Joe Brady, he was so successful with LSU. He's going to have an innovative offense. And because of that, Carolina's going to be scoring some points. But I think that's going to, especially with the COVID, with a new offensive coordinator like Brady, new systems, I really think that it's going to take some time for Carolina's offense to go ahead and start to gel at all. And I but, know but, this. But wouldn't that be correlated with the defense, all those rookies down on defense? So well, it's an arrow pointing in opposite directions. I think it's a lot easier to learn defense quickly than to learn offense quickly. And because of that, I think the new guys much more likely are going to be able to pick up on the defense. So I'm no, going to I understand. Here, here's what I'm worried about. Is Carolina's defense better now first game than it was last year I don't think I mean if you look and I'm not in a position to judge every person they lost but they lost a lot of people on defense so I wonder if this was like hey what else are you, they don't aren't going to spend on a bunch of free agents 
feels like, and and I mean, how many of these fifth round choice? I mean, there were seven picks, right? Yeah. So the the most material, obviously, that uh, Derek I mean, yeah, Brown, Brown's good. Okay. Yeah, and and the kid, the the defensive end from Penn State, uh, Gross Meadows, by all accounts, is a real, um, you know, will be a. And Jeremy Chin was another so, so, guy. So so that was you trying not to do what you know you're not supposed uh, you're to do. Right, you're right. Where you're was right. he picked at? 38th. Okay, so he's the 38th pick. Yes. And Doesn't mean Chin, he's bad. It means he's almost yeah. a first-round pick, but he's not. Yes. Go ahead. And they've got two second-rounders. So you've got three impact guys. Potentially. Potentially, yes. And if you hit two of those, you're lucky as hell. Yes. And two of those, the first half of the year is lucky times five. So I'm just thinking the defense might be worse. In fact, if I had a bet right now, I think it, it should be power-rated lower. That's a good question. Let me think about that. Yeah, so maybe that's be something for next week. All right, I will get back to you on that. I do think the idea of Brady starting slow makes a ton of sense. And I think he's going to be hyped, you know, because he was so successful with LSU. Plus, I mean, what's he doing? I don't know enough to know, but it's got to be some variation of Sean Payton, right? So it's not like it's going to be a big shock to the NFL. The idea that a special assistant for Sean Payton that literally, uh, what was it, 14 months later? So how would that go? He probably went to, he probably went to LA, yeah, like 14 months later. Is He's going to somehow tear up the NFL? Hard to believe, right? I don't think so. I agree with you. Let's talk about Kansas City drafting a running back in the first round. I really think this Edwards Hilaire, I don't think it matters who the running back is, but I think that this is a great pick for Kansas City. Why? You look at the almost the Super Bowl MVP, Williams, Damian Williams, he was just an average running back. Kansas City just has such a great offense. They really were um, had a void at running back last year. That was the weakness of the team. So picking up a running back in the first round, any running back, I think it's a great addition for Kansas City. Yeah, and, and, and I do think, and it's going to be rare we ever do this, but I do think talking about the scheme and then the traits that a player has is super valid, right? So if you need to take the top off, you know, let's say that there's a team that just doesn't have a speedster. So you could say they need a wide receiver, and if they pick a wide receiver, that's a thumbs up. I think you do account for that. They, they filled a need. But specifically, a, a, a burner that's going to take the top off the defense would be something that would be even more valuable. Even if he was just... I guess I'm going to go in reverse now. I think we should assume that wherever a player was drafted, that's where he was supposed to be drafted. And wherever the history says about that player, meaning that draft choice, is what we should expect. To me, everything else is fine. We can say that even if he's a normal 30-second pick in the draft for a running back, his traits being a guy that's pass catcher, fast, really serve the Kansas City's offense well, I think that's very valid. I just don't think we should say he's better than a typical number 32 pick. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I agree. It's really Kansas City had a desperate need for a good running back, and they got one. And remember, Kansas City and Andy Reid, this is the first time we've had two seasons in his career that he had a top-five quarterback. Donovan McNabb was not a top five quarterback. Maybe his best year was in the seven eight range. Does that sound right to you? Sounds high. Ah, right, so okay. So now you look at Alex Smith. He wasn't top five. 
So to me, I don't think we've really seen Andy Reid, except for these two years, with an elite quarterback, which is the current situation. And lo and behold, he was one offsides penalty away from the Super Bowl last year or the year before, and he won the Super Bowl. So I think in a way, what he could be doing with a speedster running back, we just don't know. It could be mind-blowing. So I agree. I think high impact. You know, one team I'm going to keep a close eye on is the Minnesota Vikings, just because they had so many picks in the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds. They had four seventh rounders. And my first take was, ah, those are all worthless. And then I'm reading about how, no, instead of with these um, guys that you try to bring into camp that aren't drafted, how it's very difficult to get the guys that you think are going to fit your culture, fit the your team. The undrafted free agents. Right. Um, so by drafting all these guys in the seventh round, almost uh, you know, um, undrafted free agents, they were able to control a lot of guys that almost fell out of the draft completely. And I was going to dismiss all these seventh round picks, but it's going to be interesting. I've been reading some about how Minnesota was able to really selectively take a whole bunch of guys that they think are a good fit. Yeah, but that's what they're always going to do, right? So at any round. So the, the the point you're making is the fact that, and we did the work on this, and I don't have the notes in front of me. Was it 37%, McKenzie? 31% of the league went undrafted. So 31% of the league last year that was on rosters was were undrafted free agents. So one in three. So the theory is... And I'm just going by memory. The average team brings in what, about seven or eight? Yes. Is that right? Okay. So in a way, Fez, we're almost saying, hey, amongst the entire league, Minnesota got three extra cracks. They're going to have three guys in. If they had one seventh-round pick, they would have hoped – let's say those three guys never got drafted. They would have hoped those three would have came. The fact that they were able to draft with those extra three picks is they got three more kind of undrafted free agents plus a smidge in camp, which probably means one extra, my guess is, one extra draftee who makes the team. But does that really affect the the idea of how good they are this season? It's going to be some replacement-level guy that makes the team? Well, they got two guys in the sixth round and two guys in the fifth round. There's just so many guys at the back end of the draft. Yeah, but what's the odds of any of them being impactful? I don't know. When you got eight guys in those last three rounds. I'm thinking almost zero. I bet one of them will be impactful. Impactful like one of the seven or eight. How many players on a team do you think are impactful in a typical year? Whereas if they weren't there, it's a problem. Oh, yeah. Right. So, I mean, they could have just that's the thing people got to realize is that replacement concept is everyone that was cut. I mean, you'll see kickers sometimes are out of the league four years and they come back and have like a seven year career because they're just they're all waiting on that periphery to get nabbed up. Right. The dude Rams had what Anderson off the count is unless your guys are better. By a clear margin then it doesn't really matter. It's So in a way, what you're trying to pick are guys that are going to be as good as replacement but have the upside to be better perhaps. And maybe in years to come, and look at James Harrison. I mean, James Harrison, who won the Super Bowl single-handedly against Arizona, meaning, well, the way to say that is if he wasn't on the field, they probably don't win. And he got caught, I think, six times like four times by Baltimore and two times by Pittsburgh before he made the team. 
And then he became all, you know, literally defensive player of the year, et cetera, et cetera. Hall of Famer, I think. So to me, that is important. Developing your own guys like that and having them potentially on a track to that is how you have winners. That's what Belichick's done. But for this year, what's the chance of any of those guys being a true different? Like, like if they were, here's the thing. If they were out, could you imagine any of those fifth, sixth, or seventh rounders being out and you mention it in your handicap? No. Then how impactful are they? I think it's more building towards the future. Yeah. And again, listen, I don't think I've got this all figured out because to some degree, like how, what makes a good team? I'm not sure it's just not having a great quarterback, a good coach, and not having huge deficiencies. Like to some degree, that is really my – and then there's one or two teams a year, like San Francisco last year, that just had so much of the good roster – but there have been teams that had that level roster that didn't have a quarterback that wouldn't make the playoffs, right? So, I mean, to some degree, when I look at those Peyton Manning Colts teams, I think there were some years that they probably had a bottom five roster other than Peyton Manning. Yeah, deficiencies all over the place. But they right? went 13-3 and three yeah. every year. So I'm not sure what makes a good team because occasionally it is the aggregation of a bunch of little quarter point better or eighth of a point better. But you add up, if every player on your team is an eighth of the point better, right? you're going to be three points better than the opponent or so, right? Sure. So I, I don't know. I, I, I just think we got to do a multiple year. Like, how Could we take pro football focus and take the average and take the delta and, 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 and say let's add it up and then we got to weight positions but we'd weight the positions a little different on different teams, right? Because if they're 3-4, the rush end is different. But I got a feeling that would be an interesting number, right? As long as we rated the quarterback crazy high enough, then the question is if we look at those other numbers, does it matter? Right? Now, I get it. If you have huge deficiencies, you can't overcome them. Right? Drew Brees went 7-9 and nine twice. I mean, it happens. They had the worst defense. But if you are average everywhere and you've got Drew Brees, you're probably one of the four best teams. Right? Yeah, I agree with that. Like, or Drew Brees in his prime. Yeah, because you got a guy worth five, six points single-handedly. And so what does it matter, you know, if a bunch of other teams, instead of, you know, have, have, if they have above-average starters all worth, you know, a quarter point here, a half point here, it's not enough. And if I knew more, I mean, if I knew, like, beyond you know simple regression analysis there's probably a way and and i I might bring someone in for the you know like this would be a good time because it does feel like if you come up with some measure of how good the players are and it could be a combination i've seen different people actually using the pro football reference which makes me think if we use pro football focus and pro football reference and half weight them and then for the skill positions we add in football outsiders and then, and this is in between years I'm talking, and then for the um, non-skill, the lines, the not, the, you know, the ones they don't give individual rankings to, we could just split the line ranking. So let's say there's five linemen, right, is whatever the delta is on the line ranking from football outsiders, you could just give one-fifth to each of the players or maybe weight it amongst there, right, maybe weight it based on their deltas on the other two measures 
there's a not so complicated way to do this. It's just if I did it with my limited, you know, non-PhD math knowledge, there'd be a 30% chance I'd be making like a major mistake and invalidates everything. But boy, once we got this, I mean, Mackenzie, this is, your mind works this way too. Uh, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, d- definitely. Were you listening? No, I, I was. I was, I was looking. I, I didn't know that Pro Football Reference had their own player ratings that we could aggregate with PFF. I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, we actually did the year before where we looked at every team, and I think we were going, what, Fest 7 or 0? They do like a – I think it's 1 through 11 or something. I don't know. But it's like 7s or 8s were like each – there was like maybe 50 of them in the league – there was a certain level, and we counted how many there were on each team. That's kind of the old Michael Lombardi blue chippers. His approach was take the top five guys at every position. Those are the guys that matter. And then how many do you, how many do you have? That's interesting, mm. right? Because the theory is the rest of them are interchangeable. Yeah, you're looking at the difference makers only. Yeah, and that, but, but more, but still there's going to be – uh, let's think about this. If there's every position, so there'd be a hundred and some, right? Cause you're going to have 22 times five and then kicker punter, you know, so you're going to have about 120, let's say difference makers in the league, which is really like a crazy extension of maybe not worth a half point. But if you went to a quarter point, you know, that might be really doing the same thing, right? Is saying that there's about 120 or so play. I know you always joke about it, but what's your half-point number? I always think there's about 30 half-point guys. But I, I, I only have them at the one point. I haven't gone through all the half-point guys yet. Yeah, but over the years, you've known a number. Yeah, like 30 to 50. Yeah, so that's interesting. If that's the case, then a quarter point, the next gradient down, probably ends up being, if you add up the point and a half, the couple guys, the points, and the half points, and then the quarter points, you probably have about 120. Yes, so it'd be the Lombardi approach. Mm-hmm. And maybe we do the Lombardi approach with the ground-up approach, wait at 50-50, and now you've got a number you can probably feel pretty good about. Right? My, my one question, RJ, don't you think two teams with the same talent would have vastly different results and thus vastly different ratings for each player with different coaches and schemes? No, because one, I don't think a coach makes hardly any difference except if it's, I mean, I really think that if we thought coaches made a difference that up until two years ago, Andy Reid would have been on the negative list because people only see the end game stuff, the game management, and thus they don't really understand anything else. And I don't either, but Andy Reid is considered the second best coach by the people that know. Right. right. So, so yeah. I, but I agree with you, the type of scheme fits or doesn't fit the player, but that's the only thing that's pertinent. Meaning if you have a player that would be great in a 3-4, but he's in a 4-3, he's a 4-3 guy right now. So how much is he worth? Well, it will be his performance. The only time that your point I think is valid is if you got a guy switching schemes, you'd have to have an expert be able to assess, does this new scheme, right? So he's going to another team, make him better or worse or the same. And then I think you can wait or you can do a 1.3 or a 0.7 on his prior performance. But I don't think any player is stupid. I guess if the money's enough, but they're probably not going to go to a place that they can't play well, like in the scheme. And the, and the coach isn't going to want them, right? They're not going to pay a big free agent to play in a scheme 
So in general, I think we could skip that and it wouldn't mean a ton. But wouldn't you agree, both you guys, that if he's in the same scheme he was last year, then whatever he is, he is in that scheme. Yes. Yes, I'd agree with that. And thus, the switches of scheme, either the team switching, and that could be more concerning. The team does a major switch, and now they keep most of the roster. It could be problematic. That's a great point. Brian Arakbo switching from the 4-3 to the 3-4 in 2012 comes right to mind. Not to me, but <laughs> that's, that's it's I a good, po- the it's a a good point. Yeah, I don't, I get, I'm a believing it's true. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think he's worth a quarter point. <laughs> this is interesting. All right. So, Fez, you continue with your list. Yeah, one more. Uh, Baltimore. You know, if you look at the best teams. Oh, my God. If you look at the best teams in the NFL, they're kind of hurting for draft picks. This makes sense. So, Kansas City, San Francisco, New Orleans, none of these teams have well, seven San picks. San Fran had two first-rounders, but go ahead. But, but none of them have, you know, even seven picks. But the, the seven picks doesn't matter. Add, if you look at the draft capital – how, how, where, was, where was San Fran on the list, Mackenzie? Go ahead. You keep going, Fess. Yeah, so the fact that Baltimore you know, has their one and their two, and then they got four guys in the third round, I was surprised just that they are so – that team, which was you know, so dominant. Okay, so this is good. You're saying it's not so much you love the pick, though you do. It's that you love the idea of having that draft capital. How did they get four third-rounders, and they were the, the best team in the NFL for most of the year, RJ? It's just you crazy. Real, I mean, you realize you don't get extra third-rounders for being bad, right? Yes. You, it's either compensatory picks or you trade for them. Yes. So how's, how well they did have anything to do with it? Well, they just stockpile draft picks, so they're in a great position to, you know, to get even better. The theory is, though, this is back to all you'd have to do. All this talk is you look at the one composite number for each team of their draft capital, or at least average the three again, and now you can say, hey, Miami had this much, and Baltimore had this much, and Baltimore has more than you might think, and because of that, I... But again, this is something we'd know before the draft, right? Yes. But I think the fact they got four guys in the third round, it's kind of... Well, we knew that before to... the draft. Yeah. So I'm saying you're right. I think the market doesn't fully get that right now. But the market's getting everyone's going gaga over Queen or whatever. How do you say that dude's name? Yeah, Queen, the linebacker from LSU. Oh, I thought it was pronounced like Queenin or something. All right, it's Queen. All right. I was looking at it going, why have I been hearing people say, are we sure it's Queen? 98%. All right. I, th- I thought I heard something different. But I believe you. Okay. That's it for you? That's it. Tua, I think, give Miami kudos. You were talking about how, you know, you're a Pollyanna Fez and, you know, you're uh, a little, what's the right word for it, uh, gullible, at least historically, when it comes to what coaches say and all that stuff. Well, I got actually amazingly gullible with Miami, how well, I mean, when they were trying to trade a three and a five, for Burrow, it was like, man, that feels like they don't like Tua at all. And lo and behold, it seems like they were had their eye on Tua the whole time. And amazingly, not only were they lucky enough to have him fall, but their draft intel had to be good enough to not be tempted to trade up. And if they did really like Tua, so and obviously they did. So give Miami an A-plus when it comes to subterfuge. I also think, though, if we are thinking, and as the only way we do as gamblers, 
about Miami for this year, I mean, is there a real chance that Tua doesn't play this year, right? I mean, what is it, about a third of a chance, Fez? Think about that, because he's got a, what, a 25% chance to start. Yeah, 29, I think it was. But yeah, the last time I saw it. Yeah, so yeah, given yeah. that, I got to give him more than, I got to say he's got. Yeah, but that's the thing. If he, oh, let's just say this. Does he play more than like three or four games? You know, what I'm saying is he won't be all that. Impact. What's the odds he doesn't really, because really, what's the incremental difference between him and Fitzpatrick anyway? I mean, Fitzpatrick's better to you by a big margin, right? Big margin, yes. If they announced that Tua, if Tua did a full uh, medical uh, checkup, he was checked out by three different doctors, all on camera, live, 28 camera streaming, and all the doctors came out and said he's 100% healthy. And the next day they announced Miami's going to start Tua. You downgrade Miami significantly, three right? Three points, yes. Three points. So, how does Tua help? Wouldn't Miami be a lot better this year if they had taken a lineman at five? Yes. But they might not be better long term. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, it's pretty amazing to think, oh, Tua, they played that great. Oh, man. He's either going to be bad or really bad. Meaning, bad if that... Draft capital at number five doesn't give you anything this year, and really bad if he's in instead of Fitzpatrick because odds are he won't be as good. Yes. Yet their win total went up. Well, it'd yeah. be even worse if they had had traded up to take to a third. Or, three. but that wasn't the. That's not what people thought was going to happen. Remember, it was the assumptions the day before the draft versus the day yeah. after. Yeah. The assumptions were they were going to take somebody else, not Tua, right? Tua was not – it was a surprise he went at five. It just was. Now, it might not have been once he got steamed as much because obviously it meant someone was going to take him over Herbert. I don't know. But getting out of those weeds, most certainly Miami would be a lot better this year if they had taken a lineman. And to me – it doesn't compute with the narrative, and that's an opportunity for us. And here's my question. If somehow, some way, Miami would have been able to procure the number three and thus offered it to Cincinnati, and I think they probably legitimately were offering it, but again, you can always pull out at the last minute, so I guess I don't think they were. Would you rather have Burrow, Fez, or Tua... And the Ohio State corner, and let's say that's your third pick, though I don't think that was a great third pick. So just have your choice of anyone except Burrow and Chase Young. Would you rather have Tua and Burrow and Chase Young, or, or I'm sorry, anyone but Burrow and Chase Young? What, which would you rather have? I'd rather have Burrow. So is that a massive discounting? of Tua because of his injuries, or do you think Burrow is just better than Tua? I think it's the discounting because of the injury. And Dr. Fez, how are you doing? Like, in general, how much value do you take away from Tua? I wish I knew. You know, I, I, I'm worried by, based on all the quotes. Well, you're not worried. Dr. Chow saying that he sh- you know, he's got a 10% chance to play without getting injured, things like that in his first year. 
Except, I mean, listen, the guy used to be the Chargers doctor, so he knows what he's doing. But, you know, he's like a draft nick at this point, watching it on TV, right? And you do know Miami did get – this is that dangerous part of having some info on the draft and not others. You know Miami did get a, a doctor in there to look at him, right? Yes, I do. So who do you trust? I would much more trust the Miami the guy doctors that got, that got to, to actually do the yeah. examination. Yes. Yeah. So I, I just wonder about you like to me. Let's just say this. If Tua was healthy, not healthy like he was completely like not prone to injury, but rather like you because now we have multiple people saying he's 100 percent recovered from the hip. So now it makes me wonder why in the heck wouldn't he play this year if he was the better, you know, in any given spot. Right? This whole red shirt thing, it's like back to the Embiid stuff. It's like play. you only get better if you play. Right? That's what Bell, that's why Brady was in the games late when they were up 40 to 5. He wanted him to play. That was the guy they needed to play. And this idea of just sitting guys for this perfect time to put him in, who's ever won that way? Like the, the, even in the NBA, who was one? That's not what that, that's not what Golden State did, right? It wasn't what the Lakers did before that, or the Celtics, meaning in, since two thousand eight or whatever. And it wasn't what Miami did when they won. And it wasn't what San Antonio did. Where, where's this? Where's it work of like sitting and keeping these guys on the shelf? Just just Kawhi Leonard, only one I could think of. But that that was him being in. He was injured. I mean, or, and then he had a dis- – you're talking about the one year in San Antonio? No, no. Or the, the year, load the, management? The year in Toronto where it was – Well, we're not talking about load management. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the idea of like a guy sitting a whole year. And, and it's like, why? Well, you know, let's let him heal fully. He is healed. Wow, he's injury prone. Like, when's that ever work? And, and B, you know, it's like that's what they did. Philadelphia did multiple times. Yep, right? with Ben Simmons too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying how quickly he could have came back, but it was, it's like what they were doing with Strasburg. Right, but again, that's you know, it's a pitcher's arm. I don't know. I it, it feels like to me that you win by playing, you get better by playing. So if you're not playing, it's not good. If you're not healthy enough to play, that's a different story. But if you're healthy enough, you play. Any thoughts? I think the Sixers are a cautionary tale. I mean, they have two really talented players, but that's just, the system never worked. They never felt like winners, and you see them now in the sixth seed falling off with the talent they have. It just shows you the culture is not working. Well, especially when you go asset, asset, it's all asset, but eventually you got to keep some of those assets, and do they fit? And I mean, to me, Embiid being, you know, let's just say not the ultimate team guy and also not like a, a super hard worker, so his weight and his fitness – I mean, again, I'm not saying he doesn't work hard. I'm saying relative to NBA greats, maybe not. And they don't play well together. I mean, it's just so. Yeah, they clog up the paint together, and they're missing guys, obviously, like J.J. Redick that open it up for them. Well, they're missing them because they they spent like a, like almost a full max on a guy that shouldn't have got a full max. So, I mean, you know, when, when you say there's only Simmons and Embiid, yeah, they're paying Tobias Harris about $25 million a year. Yeah, I mean, it's like a smidge away from a max. So if he's not good enough, if you're worried about J.J. Redick, but Tobias Harris isn't making up for it, then you got a bigger problem. It's Tobias it's Harris. Yeah. If that is his name. <laughs> 
All right, moving on. Oh, in between, and, and just so I don't forget this, Faz, you did something people dream about all the time, and you did it. I don't know if this is just you desperate because there's no action, but explain it was a draft bet. Yeah, so Joe Burrow to go number one in the draft RJ, I felt like this was 99.9% plus, that it was just absolutely given by all reports that he was going number one. So I saw a book where I could go ahead and lay 100 to make a dollar. And you know what I said to myself? This is free money. I got to bet this. When I say free money, of course it could lose, but the chances of it losing were probably one in 10,000. So I risked $10,000 to win $100. I know that sounds crazy because I felt like, I had very much the edge. And think about why did a book let me bet this? Because all it takes is a little bit of public money betting that he wouldn't be number one at 80 to one, et cetera, to move those odds to where I could lay minus 10,000. So I bet uh, $10,000, won $100. Now, I think you're leaving out a key part of this, the the mechanics of it. Oh, that I, I bet it on credit so I didn't have to lay the money out. So there was, it was not a situation where um, my money was invested earning nothing anywhere well, else. it's not even that, though. Hmm. It's the idea that if you dump it in any place but Nevada. But wait a minute. Would Nevada books give credit? Uh, no Nevada books give credit. You, 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 might, ah. get some, you might get comp credit. Ah, and a book, and a book so might had, mess you up, 10, RJ. You had 10,000 of comp credit. And Jeez. instead of some books would give you 10,000 of comp credit, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so <laughs> waste management consultant. But here's the thing. If you have to transfer the money, first of all, the time around a, a big tra- if you're not if you don't have it. Now, if you had it in your account anyway, it's a moot point, right? But if you're doing it on a setup, the risk that that place goes under and the time they're holding the money makes this not a good bet. Would you agree? Yes. Or hell, they might just try to stiff you and say they never got it just to finally get Fezzik back. <laughs> it, it's happened before. So just to be clear, you were able to make the bet somehow and then you just got the 100 in your account. Boom. Yes. And you thought the odds – and at that point, it was – 10,000 wasn't life-changing, though it would have put you in a real bad mood. And it would have been funny as hell. I know that. And <laughs> for me, but you felt like the odds were 99.9 and they only needed to be 99 to break even thus. But effectively, how much does that make? What was your ROI on that? Oh, I never even think about. So obviously, if, if I was certain I was going to win the bet, it's 1%. And I, with the overlay, it was probably point, uh, what, point 0.8%. So why, explain to me why a 0.8%, and I'm not sure I know the answer, why you wouldn't bet 0.8% other times. Why here? Ah, because of the other times when I'm making a bet on a 0.8%, there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of variance associated with that. So if you gave me an extreme example, we'll flip a coin for $5,000. When you say variance, you mean variables? No, I meant variance. Okay, so what's the var? I'm confused. This is a binary. It's either yes or no. What's well, the variance? Well, if, if, if you said, Fez, let's flip a coin, heads, tails, and I'll give you plus 102 for $5,000, I'd be like, eh, I don't really care. You know, because there's obviously, you know, I could win 5000 I could lose 5000 Yeah, that's the binary. Yeah, so there's a $10,000 swing. But that, there's a $10,000 swing here. Yeah, but that's so unlikely. Yeah, but you're only winning 100 So, like, you're not getting the payoff. You're getting the exact payoff you deserve. 
So now the question again comes to why is that? I think it's a flaw. I think it's wrong, actually. I think it's because it's the old uh, black swan. It's that the rare things seem so rare. And let's be candid. Other books were a thousand to win a dollar. The hundred to win a dollar was actually great odds, right? Yeah, and and I even, I even thought when the thousand to win a dollar, I even co- commented, I think that's a pretty good bet. So if I'm if I think a thousand to win a dollar is a pretty good bet at a hundred well, to win would, a dollar, it would seem so, but it really doesn't affect really the difference between it being ninety nine point nine or or um I'm sorry, so you thought it was ninety nine point nine that made you make the bet. If it was 99.9, you would have made the bet because if it was 1,000 to 1 and you were laying 100 to you know win one, you would have done it. And what you're saying is if 1,000 to win a dollar is a good bet, you thought it was 10,000 to win a dollar effectively was what the true odds were. Yes. Okay. But still, that difference is less than one-tenth of one percent on your ROI. Yeah, and I think it's a case where ROI... So I'm saying I'm not sure it's the right bet. I'm not sure either. I think the ROI just doesn't work well. No, I think it does. I think bets. it does, and that's why no one does this. You know, let me, let me do a little math on this one. All let me right. think about this. And I'm not sure either. It just feels like one of those, because you can comprehend it coming up tails, but you can't comprehend Burrow right. not doing it. But the question is, how do you quantify? It feels more directional to me. And, and I don't think it was a negative bet at all. I think it was certainly positive EV. But was it worth the risk with the positive yeah, EV? Yeah, let me assume the true odds were 1,000 to 1. And let me think about if I could make well, that put bet it over Kelly, over. put it through Kelly. Put it through Kelly. Yeah, exactly well, right. Well, if you, but, but that's the thing. If you could make the bet over and over, it's certainly going to make you money. But with Kelly, when you know the exact if you're going to actually assume you know the exact odds, which you don't, so the, the the real risk with Kelly is, and that's why people go to half Kelly or quarter Kelly, is you got it wrong, and it's actually a slight negative. Maybe the odds were 98.9. Or right? maybe they're 99.2. And so if I'm betting a positive EV bet, am I betting too much that I could, if I bet well, this? I'm saying over, even if it was 99.9, it might be too much. Yeah. If, you know, what, what and bankroll? I, listen, I could, be, I could be playing wrong about this. What bankroll would I need to bet this? A, 10,000 times without going bankrupt, it might be a much bigger number than what I think it is. But as Ric Flair would say, you're already a multimillionaire. <laughs> so, I mean, do some extrapolation from that. Okay. Let's talk about Philly. I've got a few other one kind of quick hitters, but what's your take on Hertz? I know this, there was a 150 to one ticket floating around, a 100 to one ticket. This was unlikely. Looking at it specifically for the Eagles this year, what's your take? Wow, you said this year. That's the only way we judge? Yeah. Um, you know, I know this. Carson Wentz, I kind of like the Hurts thing, and here's why. The last three years, Eagles have made the playoffs. And what has Carson Wentz done in those playoffs? He's had four passes. He was hurt all three years. And so – Given that history of him being injured, I think it makes sense that the Eagles have to have a good backup quarterback. And I think that this is totally a different situation than Green Bay. Carson Wentz is not threatened by Hurts at all. It's clear to everyone involved that Hurts is the insurance policy, if you will, to um, groom to be able to play backup quarterback. And because of that, I was fine with it. Does he have to be groomed to play backup? 
Because a second-round pick shouldn't have to be groomed to play backup. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. So here's the thing about this pick, and, and it really is instructional, I think, or illustrative, both, in this way. I believe that a backup quarterback has uh, four roles on a team. One is to be in a position to play. That if he has to, if he's called upon, how's he going to do? All right, one. Two is he has to, or he doesn't have to have, but he could have upside to eventually be the starter. So obviously you get a guy like Charlie Batch or whatever late in his run at Pittsburgh. He wasn't going to be the starter, but he was a rock saw. He was like another quarterback coach, you know, all that stuff. Byron Leftwich, which who has become the quarterback coach for Tom Brady, was the second quarterback, and Charlie Batch was the third. Now that's a hell of a quarterback room, right? Okay. Hurts actually, and let's give credit here. Um, someone on FS1 said this. I think it was on Speak for Yourself. And what they said was, and it was really strong, is Hertz is renowned as one of the best leadership guys of all the draftees. Like, you know, the kind of guys that kind of guy that people follow him. Now, Wentz is kind of renowned for not being one of those guys. That he's just kind of, you know, he's not a, He's not as good socially. Could Hurts, by comparison, undermine and and I think undermines the right word. Could he undermine Wentz? It's going to be like, look how good this dude is. Hurts, I want to follow this guy into battle, not Wentz. Hmm. I had considered that. Yeah, I think it's a subtle point. Because you're right. I've never heard so many people talk so positively about a player and his chemistry than I have heard about Hertz. Now, maybe Hertz is going to find a way to channel that for Wentz. If Wentz is open to it, it could go that way. That all of a sudden he's having the picnic like Big Ben never had until the one time. And they never had, I don't think, this year. is Well, I guess, you know, there's a reason. But... Uh, in general, you are who you are. It's kind of hard to piggyback socially like that. But, you know, interesting. But in general, that's why Cam Newton is going to have trouble signing because you don't usually have celebrity backups. Why? Because they're going to be more of a distraction than they are helping. So the second quarterback is there to aid the the leading quarter or the starting quarterback. All right, so that's the second thing. So can they come in and play? Can they aid them as the backup, you know, support system? Number three is, do they have an upside? And the fourth thing is, can they contribute to something else on the field? And that would be like the slash stuff, right? Is can he come in and play halfback a couple, you know, even if it's 10 plays a game, five plays a game. Does he come in in short yardage and run the wildcat? So let's grade Hertz on this. I don't, I don't know enough to know about his upside. So we'll fall back and say second-round pick, he should have upside. He also should be ready to come in. I don't think, if anything, the fact he's played under two great coaches, and I'll call Lincoln Riley great at this point, you would think Hertz is pretty smart, it's, uh, meaning as a football player. So I think that he's... In theory, he should be a serviceable backup, right? He should have more potential 
contributing on the field other than quarterback than almost any other quarterback in the league, you know, that was drafted this year, right? Because he, who, if you wanted one legit quarterback to go play wide receiver, wouldn't it be Hurts? Yeah, and Taysom Hill, obviously. I'm saying out of the draft. Right, yeah. I'm not saying every player in the NFL. I'm saying in the draft. Yes, Hurts is multidimensional. So looking at the grades, I would make the case that if he doesn't undermine, and I don't think he purposely will, right? If he doesn't undermine as in his supporting role, because he's so good of a team guy, Hurts, and if he is as good as a second rounder should be, if it wasn't a reach, some people think it was, then I think it's a great pick. I mean, it's nothing but a great pick. And then you add in how much do you weight his ability to come in and play is based upon the likelihood of the quarterback getting hurt. Peyton Manning, the backup didn't matter all that much. He hardly ever got hurt. He got hurt once, right? Brady got hurt once. So Wentz, his team, when he's been the starting quarterback, ostensibly, has played six playoff games. He's thrown four passes. He's not durable. So what do you think of that breakdown, Fez, of the backup quarterback's role? Love it. And I love the fact is, is Hertz going to you know, bring the clubhouse together? He might actually make Wentz more popular, or is he going to be his great um, uh, chemistry and the like? Is that going to undermine the fact that he's going to show deficiencies? It'll be, it'll be in comparison, yeah. I think. Yeah, and I'm really not sure. I'm not either, for sure. What I know is I don't think Hertz is necessarily chomping or champing at the bit to be starting. Like, in a way, he's developmental to some degree, so to be a starter. So I think at least the first couple years he'll be pretty comfortable. At that point, if he really emerges, he gets traded like Jimmy G probably. But that's the thing, though. You take him in the second round. How do you, If Jimmy G got a second-round pick, how, what do you get for a guy? Though Brett Favre, who literally wasn't playing – in Atlanta, and there wasn't some great quarterback ahead of him, got taken in the second round, if I'm not mistaken, and got traded for a first-round pick. Green Bay paid a first for him. I just was reading. I hmm. forgot that. Boy, that was a gutsy trade. The guy's like washing out in Atlanta, and somehow they get a second-round pick that washed out, and now he's a first-round pick. And it was a bad trade. I wonder what Mel Kuyper said. See, McKenzie, that's comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if you can explain it, but it's there. <laughs> as as Alan Alda said on Crimes and Misdemeanors, the Woody Allen movie, I think it was 86, 87. He goes, if it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it's not. It's so take as, take that. As good as get. <laughs> Say it again. It's about as good as you get in terms of a definition. <laughs> you like that, huh? Yeah. You you saw Crimes and Misdemeanors, right? A long time ago. Oh, great movie. Oh. Oh, great movie. Trust the art, not the artist. Up there with Annie Hall? I I personally think Manhattan's his best movie. Yes, I agree, actually. So Annie Hall's right up there. Uh, Husbands and Wives is shockingly good. That's the one movie that he shot like Cinema Verte, and it really is gritty. and It's like NYPD Blue by Woody Allen. Yeah. It's great. And uh, obviously his pure comedies, Bananas or whatever, uh, take the money and run, you know, just a different kind of movie. I believe that maybe his third or fourth best movie is uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. It's not the first time I've heard that. I mean, shockingly good. Okay. It's, it's almost a perfect movie. 
Like, I don't know. It's like a circle. You couldn't take anything out. You couldn't add anything. Now, does it have the heft of Manhattan? It doesn't have Gordon Willis's cinematography either. All right. It's on the list. <laughs> so which have you haven't seen Christina Barcelona? No, I haven't. Well, you know, I wouldn't mind watching that. So we should because I haven't seen it for like two years. So I see it like every two years. It's nice. great. Okay. All right. That was our movie minute. I like the movie minute. <laughs> well, when I throw cinematography, you know, like he was in The Godfather as the cinematographer. That's how I know. All right. So, <laughs> but Manhattan is amazingly shot. Black and white. Okay. We were trying to predict who had advantages in the draft. I thought the Raiders because of Mayock. And why? Because especially he's drafted at this distance, or at least he may drafts for years and years and years, 20 years. So the disadvantage that all the other GMs felt was his bailiwick in a way, drafting with this level of access, not the doctors, not all the face-to-face stuff. So I would think he had an advantage, but he made a number of picks that people didn't like. So we'll see. The other coach, Carolina, I thought because he had been so close to college, he picked one of his guys. Obviously, that's insight from Baylor. No one else had. Um as you mentioned, Fez, all defensive guys. The two others that I thought had an advantage was the senior bowl coaches, but that was the line staff and the Bengals staff. Uh, you know, I don't know, right? So we'll see. I'll just say that. And this isn't to me about the Bengals being historically so bad. It's about this staff being so bad. I believe this is maybe the least accomplished staff in the last 10 years in the NFL, if you go from A to Z. Mackenzie, why don't we put that as a, 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 you know, cue it up. You know, we just want to quantify Like we got to come up with a system, you know, maybe years as an NFL, you know, you know, maybe that's it. It's years as an NFL head coach counts as two years. Years as a coordinator counts as one. Years as a position coach counts as a half. And then everything in college is half that. So if you're a head coach in college, it's worth a year. And let's aggregate these staffs. But, I, I mean, let's sit and think about the way to uh, grade them. But once we figure it out, it's just really data entry. Yeah, like maybe if it's uh, not a top five, I mean, power five school, it's like half that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, so, but it's going to, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, Belichick will do pretty well. That'll be funny to see his score versus anyone else because he's been coaching 40 years in the NFL. Started with the Lions, Faz. I don't know if you know that. I should. <laughs> All right. I love what Carolina is doing generally. I'm not talking about the draft, though. I like the commitment to defense. I love Brown. I mean, he's a monster. It's interesting. There are certain positions you rarely, if ever, see a non pedigreed guy really excel. And quarterback's one of them, right? Tom Brady being the rarest of exceptions. Um, you know, you really think about it. If you go even, was Russell Wilson second or third round? Second, right? Third round. Third. So if you go third round or, or after the third round, you've got Dak, you've got Brady, and you've got, uh, I mean, going back even 10 years, you've got Tony Romo. Who else has been outside of the third round? Kirk Cousins was a fourth round pick. All right. So maybe we say through four, and then we only got two people on the <laughs> list. Right? But, I mean, what I'm saying is now is fourth round pedigree. But still, even with four people on the list. And we're saying Alyssa's in Kirk Cousins being what, Faz? I'm guessing you got him 14, 15? You know, I actually have him eighth. 
What? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So you think Aaron Rodgers is better than Kirk Cousins, or Kirk Cousins is better than Aaron Rodgers? Oh, I do. And you think that uh, <laughs> Brissett's better than Tom Brady? No, I got Brissett twenty sixth. Wait a minute! I thought he was. I thought he was. That 18. was like my preliminary oh, rankings that the, you helped me go ah! through. <laughs> like if, if we went ahead and polished them up, yes. Understood. I love Carolina's plan. They got a a, a brilliant hedge fund owner. And I can promise you, these other owners do not want to butt heads with this guy. What he's done in the hedge fund world, puts, it's like literally getting me versus a PhD in math. Right? Good instincts, got, took some class, you know, took whatever. College, I think it was eight, yeah, four, four, stat, yeah, eight, eight math classes in college. That's not nothing, but not the PhD from Oxford. And that's who hedge fund guys at the top of the hedge fund world are. And I love it. I thought that they signed McCaffrey. I liked that it was a four years from now deal. Paid him a lot, but you had to keep one face of the franchise. So even if you pay a little premium, Derek Brown, great pick. I don't think you see many superstar stud D linemen in the interior that aren't pedigreed. So you're going to spend a pick cornerbacks. You get them everywhere, right? That's why people don't usually take cornerbacks so high like Detroit did. Teddy Bridgewater, reasonable price, serviceable, culture guy. They're not going to win in the next year or two, so okay. But they're not going to be horrible. And then you add the draft in and the focus on defense. I love what they're doing. Do you generally like, and, and let's be candid, Fez, I've been on Carolina from the day Tepper, is that how you say it, became the owner, all the way to the point of when he gave the third string guy one game and we made a monster bet against him he's done every move now listen i'm not saying i'm always right but he made every move i would have made yeah and i think carolina if you want to talk about buying low their season wins five and a half rj and yeah it's easy to say that hey they're not going to win right now that's a really low number yeah. for a team that's got some things going for them new coach and the cove i mean the, yeah, the whole new thing is not point. only just the coordinator right yes and who's their d coordinator you remember? I do not recall. Look that up, McKenzie. Um, I think I know. It's an is it? It's not Nolan, is it? I, um, I think it's a senior guy, but I don't remember. Uh, moving on, and we'll get that. Denver. Everyone's been talking about, it, but it's worth saying. Wide receiver Sutton, twenty-four. Hamilton's twenty-five. This year's draft choices: twenty-one and twenty. Judy and Hamler. Uh, Lindsey, twenty-five. Melvin Gordon's the old man at 27. Tight end uh, Fant, 22. Drew Locke's 23. <laughs> Talk about a young offensive playmaker core. Wowza. Now, I don't think Locke's any good. Obviously, they're supplying him with amazing, or potentially amazing, a lot of young talent there. Any thoughts on that, Fess? Yeah, you know, I love what Melvin Gordon said. Obviously, the Chargers didn't give him the contract, and he's like, I'm really happy I stayed in division, meaning I can stick it to the Chargers here. So that's the type of extra motivation you got to like. Got to be concerned about Locke's confidence, and that's why I like the fact that Denver is just surrounding him with playmakers. They don't want this to go south, and it to get the, and it'd be a confidence issue with Locke not having enough weapons. Minnesota, you mentioned the number of picks. What I find interesting is, in contrast, Green Bay, when it comes to help now, they didn't have a good draft. 
In Chicago, there's questions about the draft. I might not buy into them, but they didn't have a bunch of picks anyway. So it feels like Minnesota helped themselves a lot more. And I didn't like Detroit taking a cornerback, even a Buckeye, at three. So if anything, Minnesota, uh, their improvement from the draft, and again, this is equity we knew beforehand, but you look at the Green Bay, you know, effectively saying our number our first round pick will not help us this year. Uh, the the contrasted improvement is looks really good for Minnesota. Any thoughts on that? I like the way you broke that down across the board within division and with problems possibly for the Bears and certainly for Green Bay. What's Minnesota? I don't have their division odds. Uh, I don't have them right in front of me. McKenzie can get them. I'm going to keep going. Justin Herbert. I don't know, right? But here's what I know. He's in a super advantageous situation. I mean, if you took Carol, if you took the Chargers and all NFL teams without their quarterbacks, so you're looking at the roster minus the quarterback. Where's the Chargers at? Oh, top five. Well, that's but let's say even top ten. How often is a pedigreed number six pick going into a top ten roster? Yeah, and especially with those playmakers, you know, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Ackler, uh, their number two wide receiver Williams is good. They've got a whole lot going for them. Do you have any of those answers, Mackenzie? Uh, yes. Phil Snow is the defensive coordinator for the Panthers. He's coming up from Baylor. Along oh, with wow. Matt oh, that's wow. right. I knew that. I don't like. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, and the, sure. the Vikings are second favorite to win the NFC North. They're plus 180 right now. Packers plus 170. So pretty much a pick em. I'll tell you right now, I don't like that Snow. I don't like that at all. I remember when uh, I just happened to be on the ground here when no one's going to know that hardly anyone, but... Dana Dimble, Dana Dimble, who ended up coaching at Houston when my best buddy followed him from Kansas State to Wyoming, and he was up at Wyoming, did pretty well, got the Houston job, which, you know, is a big job. And he brought down, like, most of his Wyoming staff. And even at the time, I'm like, that's a mistake. Right? You're comfortable with these guys, and they're just not up to that level. And about half the guy. Now, the funny thing is Mark Stoops was on that staff. So, okay, that was pretty good. But otherwise, about half the guys on that staff are no longer in college or pro coaching. They're high school guys or they're out of coaching. So, in Texas, being a high school guy is not a bad thing. But, you know, they're all, I think they're all in Texas. But to me, I just can't imagine the D.C. for freaking Baylor – is good enough to be a DC in the NFL. He could be. I doubt it. That worries me, Fez. It, does that Snow have any NFL experience? If you look at his history, McKenzie? Yes, I'm pulling it up now. I'm just looking through. No, no, uh, only college is about. Actually, no, I'm sorry. He was a defensive assistant in 2005 for the Lions. Yeah, it's like a quality control guy. <laughs> I mean, they learn something, but you're not learning a ton. Um, all right. I think that covers it, except Green Bay. I mean, it's been talked out. I'm going to r- rattle it off real quick, my takes. One is it makes it more egregious in from Green Bay's perspective if you don't like the move that they didn't get a wide receiver after. Because Philly took, you know, used a high pick, you know, second round, but they got a wide receiver in the first round. Here they had all these picks, didn't get any wide receivers. 
And, Fez, you had a great point about the running back they did take. Yeah, A.J. Dillon, the bruising running back from Boston College. The problem is is that A.J. Dillon is a workhorse, a mutter on the ground. He doesn't catch passes. He had about 4,500 rush yards in his career at B.C., only had like 230 pass reception yards. That is not going to help Aaron Rodgers in the pass game. And... It was a 40-to-1 ratio between running and passing. That's, how is that even possible, I, In the modern era. So, to me, what came out today, taping on Wednesday, per usual, is it came out that the guy from The Athletic who covered the Packers, was it 38 years? Um, I think that's right. Yep. Uh, and I'm going to pull it up as we're talking. Bob McGuinn. And he said the following, Matt LaFleur simply had enough of Aaron Rodgers' act. After one year, a young coach, the power play, listen, I like it. I like it, right? This is gutsy. This is, uh, you know, I, I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but it's Game of Thrones type stuff. Now the question is, does it was part of the calculation that Aaron Rodgers what we know for sure is he can't leave. He can't not be on Green Bay. It's a $50 million dead cap hit this year, a $30-plus million hit next year. The year after, it's 17. That's not so bad. Brady was 13, but it's still a lot. Year four, it's like under $3 million. To me, he ha- has to be on Green Bay for two years. They will not trade him. It doesn't matter what he does. They won't. I mean, they'd be giving up on the season. I don't think they could, effectively. You can't clear that much caps. I don't know how that would even work. I'm not a capologist. But I think their theory is it motivates him this year. If he takes a quantum leap, then that pick's worth it. doesn't matter if he never plays it down. And if he tries really hard and proves a little bit, they know they were right that he's trending down. They got one more year with him, and maybe they get rid of him in year three just when there's two years left cheap for Jared Love. <laughs> Thoughts, Fez? Well, this is actually going to be my best bet, so should I hold back on this? No, let's do it, baby. Let's get our gal. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. Give you a piece of my mind. Go, Fez, go. All right. Well, this pick may well work out well for Green Bay long term with Jared Love or Jordan Love, etc. You might want to get that one straight. Yeah. But uh, bottom line is, I think it's a toxic environment this year. I don't think that it's go- that Aaron Rodgers is the type of guy that's going to rally behind this, come out with this huge chip on his shoulder, and suddenly be refocused and be a top 10 quarterback. I think things go- Really? See, I disagree with that. I think that him doing that might actually not be great for the rest of the team when it comes to interpersonally or whatever. But I think he's so petty and so self-interested that there's he'd be more motivated than anybody you know he just Aaron Rodgers doesn't he strikes me as California cool and not a tough guy to because um, he's never ever actually quite frankly I guess the fact that he fell in the draft and he still talks about it probably speaks that he the one time he was disrespected he hasn't forgot it but I think the bet's still good because I think that whatever Aaron Rodgers does unless he gets great I think he's going to be focused. I think it helps him a little bit in that regard. 
But I think disruption on the team otherwise might be more of a negative than that's a positive. That's a great point with everybody else and maybe a locker room divided. Bottom line, I'm going Green Bay under nine. And I got to tell you, RJ, Green Bay was a team I was already looking to selectively bet against. What's after, the money on on that? After uh, under nine minus a dollar ten. It's well, I don't like that at all. So it's got to be eight and eight or you don't cash. Yes. Wow. So you think they have a better chance of going eight and eight than ten and six? Oh, absolutely. Boy, I don't like that at all. Wow. Well, let's do something. For, I might bet you on this, but I, let's look at it for next week, the bet, and here's what I want you to do. Give me Dallas. Let's look at Dallas and Green Bay, their stats, and tell me not even their Pythagorean. Look at their stats and tell me where they should have, what their record should have been. And, and if it ends up the Green Bay should have been 10-6, and six, like I think, I don't like this at all. If it ends up that they should have been 8-8, eight and eight, I do. Will do. I'll summarize it all. Well, it's not summary. It's going to be art, not science, right? Yes. All right. So continue. And that, that's basically it. That uh, Green Bay, I think, was a all right, 9-7 and seven type team last year. Rodgers is a year older. And the... Yeah, but if he the, does get motivated the here... The distractions. I just think the distractions mm. are going to kill this team. Well, I think you should get away from the draft. Listen, I can't. If you would have went two and fourteen, I, 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 I would have felt bad. So, I mean, to some degree, I just got to say, say I'm skeptical. I, this I, feels like pseudoscience to me. A lot of pseudoscience. I do here. have a bonus best bet that I think you're going to like a lot. Well, that's it. Doesn't matter if I like it or not. I want your best bets, not mine. Right? Mine are out there. I, I mean, I hardly ever lose. I mean, that is what it is. These are your best this bets. This is true. <laughs> I mean, you know, just six straight winning years on Kevin and Bean in the NFL, three picks a week. Could it be coincidence? Who knows, right? Oh, you've got like a one in a hundred chance. I mean, we were, what, the fifth best super contest gold over two years of anyone in the world? I think is the number. So yes. It's pretty good. But, you know. All right, you're supposed to jump in now, Fasm. I'm, I'm, I was thinking about there was a year that the the Cincinnati Reds had like the best record in baseball, but they it was the split season. They didn't even make the playoffs. You know, that happened to Tiger Woods before he won the Masters. If you were to look, oh, yeah. remember the two uh, majors before that, he had the best score, it's but a, zero wins. I forgot about that. That's right. Continue, sir. Uh, best bet number two, right? Yes. All right, bonus best bet, Amari Cooper, under 1,100 yards receiving RJ, I love this bet. Now, Cooper had just under 1,200 yards. So it's about the draft choice takes away catches? Last year, yeah, there's one football. Exactly. So the fact that Dallas now, they've got Gallup, who was just playing better and better, their number two wide receiver at the end of the year, and now they bring in C.J. Lamb. So they've got another viable option for Dak. It's going to take away from Cooper's production, and that number's being set close to what it was last year, too high, under 1,100 Cooper. All right. Now, what, last year's number was what? Uh, I think eleven. Oh, I'm sorry. Last year's performance was what? Eleven hundred eighty-nine. Okay. So the assumption is it's a little bit of a drop off. Why is it drop off? Well, I think was that, it just was it just the vagaries of the amongst among like what would you have predicted? And you might know the number. I doubt it. What would you have predicted his over and under entering last year? I do not know what what I. What, what, what would you have guessed? I think he was just under a thousand in production the year before, so like nine hundred and ninety, somewhere around there. Okay. So, what would you have made the number in that case? 
I guess what I'm trying to do is explain. I get the concept, and I'm not saying you're wrong at all. I'm just trying to understand. If you, I get the concept that if you think about a reasonable range, or this is the mean or median, however you want to think about it, you'd expect. And I could envision him. You know, so you might say uh, a good running back, but not great. Twelve hundred yards is what I expect if he stays healthy. If he got fifteen hundred, that would be like shocking. And if he got nine hundred, it'd start being shocking, right? So it's like a three hundred three hundred yards in each side. I get the idea. If you end up on the upper end of that, the odds are you won't be on the upper unless something fundamentally change. If you reevaluate, they might be. They're better than we thought. Like Joe Joe Burrow is better than we thought. Right, but usually that doesn't happen in the NFL after multiple years. Thus, the market looks at, or the squares look at, that 1,200 yards or whatever. But in truth, he's no better than he was last year, entering the year. So why should the number be higher? I love it. And the fact how do you assess that though? That's what I'm saying. Like, what is his rank? Like, how do you do that? Well, the fact, RJ, that he played 15 games two years ago and he played all 16 games last year, and in those years, like I said, he had about a thousand in 2018, and then the 1189 last year. And you know, that's a leap of faith to ask a wide receiver to play every game. That's unusual. So to expect him to, all I really need him to do is to miss a game or two, and immediately I got to shave that eleven eighty nine down to about a ten fifty estimate. And yeah, it, did the market move after the draft? The market did move downward. How much? Yeah, so it moved down. I saw it move down fifty yards. I don't think that's enough. How do you make that assessment? Because I think Lamb's going to get about six to seven hundred yards. Off the top of my head. Now, the question is, how much would a generic third receiver have gotten? Probably four to 500. And then you figure that he probably takes 60% of those yards. That differential was his? Yeah. All right. So how does that math work out? So if I got an extra 300 yards, you know, that they're going to lamb, then I'm going to take away, what, 120 from uh, Gallup and 120 from Cooper? I'm probably more from Cooper, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. See, that's what I like to do. Right. Now the question is, and I, the only thing that worries me is, could it be that that one plus one plus one equals four? That doesn't the offense isn't it supposed to have more yards this year? Because they have the good third or second receiver, however you want to think about it. I would say. Normally, yes, but Dallas had more yards than anybody in the NFL. What does it mean they can't get better? Well, I, 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 yes, they can get better, but how, how high can they go? I mean, yeah, you're right. So you're saying Dallas themselves were on the outside of their range. So exactly. you expect that to regress. Okay. But, Steve, to me, I love this analysis. The directional stuff I hate. Breaking it down is super instructional. If I'm learning things, a lot of the audience is going to be learning things. So. I love when you come in with this stuff, give me your estimates. It does, it's not science, right? That's the, if it was science, we could hire a guy at Northwestern on the cheap, I'm sure, to give us the science formula, right? This is, there's only probably 20 people in the world that can do this, and you're one of them. So do it. You, uh, you got it. I was sarcastic. I mean, oh. not the 20. I mean, me screaming. <laughs> I'd go University of Chicago myself, but. Uh, I know. That's why I was saying that I wanted to get him really cheap, so I'd go to Northwestern. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't afford Yale or Columbia. <laughs> All right. So what do we got? We got a best bet from Diamond Dave Esler, who looks like gold on his Tua pick. 
Let's be candid. You were scoffing last week, Fez. Yeah, he uh, got you were ahead scoffing, of the, and he got ahead of the mark. You know, he is Diamond Davis down in Florida. <laughs> you gotta wonder who he's talking to. He took two. Of he's pl- not talking to anyone. He's reading. He and took thinking. two of minus a dollar ten before he moved to minus one seventy to go before Herbert. L winner. I think his pick was the first five under five and a half. That's right. Oh, okay. You're not very good on the draft. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, I literally think that if you flipped a coin, except on your picks. Except on your pick. So let's I, – I can't – I just got to quit because it's ridiculous. You went like 15 and 2. Now, you didn't count that 1,000 to win a dollar, did you? No, I did not. Thank God. I kind of wish you did. It would have been funny. All right. So we got Diamond Dave coming up. We got the Hitman coming. How'd the Hitman do on all his stuff? On the draft Four, 3 and 14 1. 14 and 2. Oh, wait. Go ahead. On the draft 3 and 1. Uh, with his releases, but how did he do in his life? Oh, I know, I know, he did great. Uh, I meant three and one just on this pod that Pixie gave. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I th- RJ, I think. Well, he, he was... sold a bunch of them to his premium client. Remember, the Hitman's available at pregame.com, baby. I think he was like twenty-three and three, Fucking something me. ridiculous. No, listen, there's only one way to have a guy who's 145 pounds, who's a school teacher in New Jersey, be called Tommy the Hitman. You got to be the type that goes like four or eighteen and three on the draft, guys. If you're not looking at the hitman in the NFL as it comes up here, you're making a mistake. So we're going to listen to Diamond Dave. We're going to listen to Hitman, and then, and then we got two other things, both on tape, so you have a choice. Because if we're live and you're gone, you're you know, kind of stupid. Who knows what could happen? Number one, well, who knows what could happen on tape actually. Number one is we talk about the NCAA and the whole likeness thing. It's from straight out of Vegas, and I thought we did a great job on it, so why try to recapture that? Boom. But also, earlier, we don't edit for content, but we do rearrange because we want to put the meat up front. Let me just say this. Fez and I had a 20-minute discussion about poker. He disrespected me. In a ludicrous, ludicrously, and I gave him, and I never said this on the pod, the Vufon Ghoul. It's Italian. It's only what Italian. What the heck is that? Uh huh. Uh huh. Just remember, if you think about it, think back to the Godfather, and think back when Connie was fighting with her husband, and he was going out. He goes, I made the roast. Remember, she's throwing around, tearing down the drapes, and she's like. He's like, Vufongo to you. She goes, Vufongo to you. They're screaming at each other. It means go after yourself in Italian. So this is, it's when the Italians will like do it under their chin, kind of, you know, like along their jawline and flick their hand. Well, that, I never do that to Fez. I might, you know, be critical of him, but I don't like, dismiss him. Like, but I dismissed him. And you know how? Instead of going heads up with him, I'm back in McKenzie. That's all I'm going to say. You can't get any. You got to hear it because it's actually going to be awesome. We're going to tape it. All right. Anything else we got to cover, boys? MLB? Nah. You go ahead, Fez, real quick. I I think this is boring. All right. Proposed realignment into three. Why are you talking like that? Sorry. Talk like a human. Let's talk MLB proposed. Oh, that's so much better. Realignment into three divisions. I actually love this idea, RJ. 
going to have a Western region, a Central region, and an Eastern region. Forget the American League and the National League. MLB. So that works. So you had a little something. It had a little extra energy, and you did it by, like, one gradient, and you brought it back. That works. Go ahead. All right. So MLB, you and I have spoken about this, how these guys are dinosaurs. They're unwilling to change. They won't even put the pitchers on, like, clocks. But here they've really got a good idea here, and here's why, in my opinion. Obviously, it's a challenge to do all this travel. Boy, this is a big wind-up, isn't it? Go! All right. I love the fact that no one has mentioned this before. What happens if a <laughs> More play- wind-up. What happens if a player tests positive for COVID? Oh, the season, big problems. Quarantining, that team can't play anymore. Maybe the teams that they played can't play anymore because they're separating 10 teams west, 10 teams central, 10 teams in the east. Are we still talking like this? Oh, sorry. No, no. What I'm saying is, is like... I mean, and I, I don't want, listen, a lot of people die just like the flu every year. And I'm not saying it's just like the flu. I'm saying upwards of 60,000 people die from influenza, you know, the common flu. Um, obviously, we don't shut down. Le- you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't have done what we did. I'm saying now that we got the information we have, I don't know. I mean, it, it, if, if a team, if someone on the team gets it, is, isn't it effectively... They've got a bad version of the flu, and unless they're old, that I mean, not that they want to give it. I don't know. I wonder at this point. I think if we, I think because we're there's so much risk to to uh, not emphasize or or to not give it its proper concern that they probably will go overboard the leagues if something happens. I just wonder, does it feel merited? I mean, we got two Ivy Leaguers here. Let's use their brains. Matt, we'll start with you. What do you think? I think you put in protections and protocols to make sure that your season can continue in that eventuality. But is it a situation where, because the theory is if someone tests positive or there's a five-day incubation period, they're going to have to put, in theory, if they go whole hog, those everyone on those teams in isolation until they can be tested. And like Fez said, maybe even the ones they came in contact with. No, you can't stop the league. Once one guy's got it, you have no idea who else has it. You just have to take it case by case. What? But really, I could. Agree. I I thought you said something too. You said case by case, which is what? <laughs> which is if somebody gets it, they go home. Okay, <laughs> but but what I'm saying is, the odds are there will be multiple people on the team that get it. The odds are you can minimize those odds. I think with your preparation, right? I don't know what that even means. That means that you test all your players. At, you, at various points. At various but points. But they could have it for five days before you, it shows up. Correct. And I don't know if you could do this, but you could encourage them to limit their contact with anybody outside their family. Well, you and their certainly team. can, right? Because, I mean, they were thinking of keep, you know, NBA players on lockdown. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think I'd have to look into it a little bit more. But uh, Taiwan and South Korea are both doing some version of this. So I'd like to see what they're doing. So at this point, would it, what's the morbidity rate, I guess they call it, or the mortality rate maybe is a better way. I don't know why I'm saying morbidity. Um, Stanford did a study um, not with people that had it or were tested to have it, but they had the antibodies for it, so they probably had it in the past. And the mortality rate for that select group was 0.2%, which is probably more representative of the overall population. So the, the regular flu is 0.1%. Yes, but that's people that report the flu. There's a lot of people that don't get tested for the flu either, so that's probably lower too. Okay. So it's like at least doubly as deadly. Yeah. But we're talking a 1 in 200 crack. is we, Or, I'm sorry, 1 in 500 crack. That's right. Thanks. Thanks. 
<laughs> Correct. I suppose. <laughs> RJ gets that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another one going. <laughs> Thank you. That's very good, man. All right. All right. Anything else? So, I'm sorry. I guess I was just trying to figure out what would happen. Now, you like the way they're doing it, though. Go ahead, please. Yeah, here's why. Let's say there's a problem with COVID in the West, RJ, and those teams, for whatever reason, can't play 100 games. They can only play 80 games. The Central and the East, Uh, no problems. They can play uh, 100 games. Well, because they've isolated into three different buckets, and those are the teams within each bucket competing for the playoffs, now all of a sudden you can have one of the three regions. And there's, So there's no wild cards or anything that cross it. Exactly. No wild cards that cross it. And wow. Be, and because of that, everyone will be on a level playing field. So if some teams play 100 games in the East, but the West can only play 80 games, it's still a viable playoff scenario. And no one's mentioned this. No one has mentioned that. But you think that's why they did it? I think it's one of the reasons they did it. I think it's quite clever. Mm. That is, I'm giving you some credit there, buddy. Took a long time to get there, but it was worth the trip. <laughs> it's like going, there's a place called Love It Frozen Custard. That's like a long, about 15 minute drive for me. Any of you guys ever have Love It's? Nope, I have not. Oh my gosh. We should, like when we have a reason to celebrate, we'll go down and get some custard. Faz, I know you haven't gone because it's in a bad part Frozen of town. Frozen custard's really good. What well, is, is it Gel? Who has the we had we had Nielsen's one is the one yeah. from U, the Utah chain, and they're very good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but but love it's a is a different planet. You know, hey, I go to that pizza pie place, the 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 good pie. That's great. And where's that at? By Olympic Gardens. I'm guessing that they either have a type of drive-through or you have gotten it once in the last three years. No, my wife loves it. She sends me down there. Oh, wow. That trumps everything. <laughs> yes. Jesus. You know, I could go a million years without ever saying my wife sends me anywhere because she would never send me anywhere. And it, it's like I could get there's things in my life I wouldn't. You know, if I say, hey, I've only left the house four times in the last six weeks, which is about right, I'm not anxious to say that. I'll just say it now. I don't know if it sounds right. I don't know. It's just me. I'm, I'll just sit in front of my computer and I keep working. And in between, I'll watch TV, talk to the wife. The question is, would I say it? Why would you say she sends me there like that? Like, does, is that like you think you're being cool by acting like you're not cool, but you're so uncool it doesn't work? Well, no, it was like explaining why I'm like venturing out. But you could have said, hey, hey, the family likes that pizza, so we run down and get it. No, I run down and get it. I know, but you lie left and right about little things like that. No, I don't. Oh, bull crap. You're all, until recently, you've always thought of 80 different permutations of everything you could say. I'm a changed man. I know. I guess you're right. Maybe you're saying that because you're just not, you're just saying the truth without any tweet. And again, let's be clear. This was never you were lying about your picks. or It was like you would say, I got up at 7, but you really got up at 8. I recycle. Yeah, yeah all the shenanigans. <laughs> well, listen, as all, of all the people I know, you love Mother Earth the most. And it's, it's something I give you a ton of credit. It's true. Yeah, I give you a ton of credit, too, is you, I know you don't take credit too well when it's not gambling, but you don't talk about it. Like, you're humble about it. So kudos, my man, because, I mean, she's all of our mother, Mother Earth. All right. Anything else? One more thought on MLB. Oh, yes. I think that if they go with this realignment, 
I really think the New York teams, the Chicago teams, and the L.A. teams have an advantage because they're going to be able to stay at home over 55% of the time, and the road trips they have will be lesser versus the rest of the league. And remember, MLB is going to try to cram as many games as possible in. This is a schedule. I know no one's going to have like any kind of extreme travel, but with doubleheaders and with so many games being played, I do think that that's an edge to minimize travel. All right, Mackenzie, you did the rundown. Was there anything we missed important? Just say no if it's no. Nope. All right, so here we go. Here's the lineup from here. Diamond Day first. Another winner last week. Right in fact, he's just spiked the football on my face and Fez's face, to be candid. And I give him credit. When you look like Uncle Dave and your name Diamond Dave, just like when you look like a school teacher that weighs 145, and you're called Tommy the Hitman, that's who's next. And these guys specifically, the Hitman has a prop bet on Aaron Rodgers. Dave Esler has a rookie of the year bet. Then we'll go with our take on the NCAA. And then McKenzie versus Fezzik. $1,000 on the line. Talk to you guys next week. I like and bet Clyde Edwards Hilaire to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. The last 20 winners, less than half of them have been quarterbacks. Look, we know this is a coach-quarterback league. And LaFleur and Albaro have no history. Reed and Mahomes certainly do. Hilaire averaged almost seven yards every time he touched the ball last year, and 55 of those touches came out of the backfield. Big plus. The Chiefs ran for 100 yards a game last season with Williams and McCoy, and Williams had more yards last year than he did in four years in Miami. McCoy's a free agent, so Hilaire is going to get his reps. He benefited Baton Rouge from having an all-world offense. He'll benefit in Kansas City for exactly the same reason. It's situational. I'm taking the less obvious LSU player here with less pressure and lower expectations. The consensus is plus 700 right now. It was as high as 18 to 1. The early money is on Burrow. The smart money is on Edwards Hilaire to win the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Season-long player prop, best bet. I bet Aaron Rodgers under 4,100 passing yards, and I like it all the way down to 3,900. The main handicap for this is a schematic change in the Packers' offense. Head coach Matt LaFleur has openly said that he wants a run-heavier offense, and the Packers' draft showed that commitment by drafting a two-down, 250-pound, bruising running back in the second round and drafting a fullback in the third round. Rodgers hasn't eclipsed seven and a half yards per attempt since the 2014 season, which means any type of passing volume decrease is going to hurt Rodgers statistically because he hasn't shown to us that he can make up for a lack of volume with efficiency. Any missed time for Rodgers would easily cash this prop for us, which is important considering the fact that Rodgers throughout his career hasn't exactly been Brett Favre as far as durability is concerned. Best bet, Aaron Rodgers under 4,100 pass yards. The NCAA's top governing body said that it supports a proposal to allow college athletes to sign endorsement contracts and receive payment for other work. So that is a big, big change compared to what we're used to when it comes to the NCAA. No doubt. And I got to tell you, my first reaction is it feels like an indictment of the time up till now. Here's what I mean. If for some reason, and maybe it's a reason that most people wouldn't really agree with, I wouldn't agree with it. But if the NCAA had a legitimate reason in their minds, from their perspective, then why would it change now? 
the very fact that and, and it sounds counterintuitive. It'd be like, wait a minute, RJ, if you agree the players should be able to generate this revenue and make that money themselves, why would it changing in that direction be a bad thing? No, I think net net it's a good thing. It's a good thing for the players. But it makes me disdain the NCAA even more because it really doesn't sound like it was a principle. It wasn't some concept that they believed in. Rather, it was about leverage. And up until now, they felt like the NCAA, they had enough leverage to say, nah, we're not going to let that happen. Nah. But now, for a couple of major reasons, the leverage is at an all-time low, and we're going to go over those. And now, all of a sudden, they cave on this? Ugh. I don't know how you can look back and feel good about them deciding that this was not okay all the way up till now. Fez, what's your general take on it? Yeah, I agree with you, RJ. All of a sudden, if I'm a high school baller and I can make two hundred, three hundred thousand a year going to the G League, so I can make some coin. Oh. And now the NCAA is seeing three of their top 20 players heading right to that developmental G League. What a shocker. All of a sudden, all of these um, rules are going away in the NCAA. Yeah, more player friendly. And you spoke to one of the two major leverage points, I think, when it comes to the players. So at this point, three top high school basketball prospects. So Jalen Green, ESPN's number one. Isaiah Todd, number 14. And Knicks, number 20. So three of the top 20 players out of high school have all signed with the G League over the last few weeks. Um, Green said he would have went to Memphis if it weren't for the G League. And Todd decommitted from Michigan to join the team. And Knicks decommitted from UCLA. So this isn't just, oh, they're making the decision. It's like now that... The dam has burst in a way. They're saying, ha, I know we committed. We're out of here. It's not only it's so appealing. They're actually a school they were already committed to. They're saying, no, thank you, Jonas. I mean, this seems like a major threat to, to college basketball. Yeah, it was only a matter of time. I think once it, it really took just one or two guys to make the move or be bold enough to take the step and and for college sports to be able to feel threatened before they had to start to reevaluate everything. Um, I'm not totally surprised by this. I think it was just as more and more conversations came up every single year about certain things not being fair, certain players not being able to, you know, to, to eat or, or be provided certain things from colleges and from the NCAA. It was just only a matter of time before there were going to be changes made. I mean, think about, uh, was it Clemson, I think, that, that put up a, a web page trying to raise money at the beginning with the COVID-19 stuff, and, and the NCAA said, no, no, that's a problem. I mean, yeah, it was Trevor Lawrence, yeah, of Clemson. Yeah, it's yeah. that kind of myopic short-sightedness that uh, it's like there's, there's someone that's like an alien from another planet that has no sense of what the real world's like making these decisions, at least for a long time. And you know what? For a long time, they just crossed their arms and ate shrimp at all the different functions, and they didn't care. Oh, you don't like, you think we're tone deaf? Well, we can't even hear you. It was really the implication. They were untouchable. Now, I think, obviously, this G League stuff and the NBA, I think, very explicitly is going 
to take out NCAA basketball. I mean, this G League is like a business going for this customer, in this case, the freshman coming out. And they're going to be doing that even more so is the speculation because the one and done will likely soon be done. The 2022 draft, so 24 months from now or so, a little bit more. So June of 2022 has been dubbed the double draft because most likely, this is speculation, it would have both the one and done prospects from 2021 who a lot of them in the G League, but okay. And then the theory is they're going to let high school students come straight in and thus it'd be a double draft. So if that ends up happening and then you get the G League for the people who aren't LeBron or, you know, aren't, let's say, starter first year level, why not? Because that's always been the lament. Even Kobe, and again, it was a different time, but it, a lot of these, uh, you know, freshmen in college effectively can't get time with the NBA, but they don't want to go to college and they're still going to be a high draft choice. Boy, this G League, Jonas, it feels like a heck of an opportunity to even get that next tier coming straight out of high school. Oh, yeah, especially if you're 18 years old, you're coming out of high school. There's a there's a lot of people who go to school just because they feel like that's a necessity to get to where they want to go. But most of them would rather take the cash grab, would rather, you know, have right out of high school an opportunity to make really good money doing some sort of job. I know I had a lot of friends who delayed going to college or went to a junior college because they were working at a place that they didn't want to give up the money at that time. So it just feels like a no-brainer for a lot of those guys at the moment. I just think there's going to be a watered-down aspect to it, and I wonder how many players are going to make the jump that maybe aren't ready for it, and it might stunt their career. Well, But that's the thing. If the G League's an option, it strikes me the way that they put it together, specifically this year with the, um, I guess it's called the select team, is – Remember, we did this story, and they were talking about that they got multiple coaches, even more than usual, there for development of the players. It's it's with a mindset to really almost be like a long, uh, like an AAU type thing. Which let's be candid, these high school kids, the elite players, AAU is what they know, right? And it, it strikes me, unless you're going to Coach K, unless you're going to a handful of the greats, and I mean it's a small handful at this point. I think you probably learn. I mean, again, nothing against any given score, but Kansas State, let's say, or Texas Tech. Let's just randomly pick a few, you know, uh, 20 through 40 type programs in the country. And, Fez, let me ask you, it it strikes me the G League is going to be better for the development of these players than going to, let's say, the 20th best college in the country with a coach that's about probably 20th best. What do you think? Oh, I agree, because if you're going to to school, you've got the whole college experience. You do have to attend the classes somewhat, RJ. If you can just solely uh, focus on basketball, why is that not going to make you a better player over a one-year period? And hold your laments, right? Bill Gates, college dropout. Zuckerberg, college dropout. So it's okay to drop out to start a business. And let's be candid. In hindsight, it looks great. Microsoft, Facebook, but at the time, it was a startup. There was no, how many people don't we know their names dropped out in the same way? And maybe they went back for their degree. Maybe they didn't. College is about someone wanting college. And our producer, we call him Hollywood Matt, because he did have a 
long aspirations of writing scripts for Hollywood. I think I think they're actually in his drawer still, but great producer. I'll give him that much. He went to UCLA and he he made an interesting point. I thought it was very interesting. He said, you know, this feels like basketball is going to become baseball at the college level. Meaning what happens is kids that don't have an interest in college, think they're ready for the minors, they jump straight in. And thus, it's a watered-down pool playing college baseball, but they're there and they want to be there. If it's because they're not good enough for the pros yet or because they just love the idea of an education, Jonas, what do you think? That feels right to me. And I don't know what that means for the interest level, but that doesn't sound so bad if it were like that. Well, I mean, if you, as long as uh, people should have options, I mean, if you have the option to want to, you know, pursue a job coming out of high school, you should have the option wanting to pursue a direct path to the league. And so, yeah, I think as many, the more options you have, the better it is for everybody involved. I just, I wonder how much we're sort of overlooking the college experience and how many of these guys that have had to but, go to college. But that for, needs to be the player's decision, right? If they no, value that. Yeah, and, but my, my point is what I was trying to say is I wonder how many players in the past couple of years who have had to go to college for a year and then decided to go to the NBA after that, how many of them would do it differently? Would they just, would they, you know, overlook college and go directly to the NBA or do they really get something valuable from that experience? I, I don't know the answer, but I would love to know. Um, based on those studies. I'll tell you this. Whatever number stay longer or lament that they didn't, that number would go up dramatically if they had a decent amount of money, right? I mean, to some degree, if you're coming, and I know you didn't, I didn't, but if you're coming from a wealthy family, okay, fine, right? Then you go to college, yeah, you still got your money, you're still fine. Yeah, you don't have millions, but you got enough, right? But if you're poor, if you don't have the money in college and literally you're choosing not to take millions, oh, man, you got to love college for that. And I think that bar is just too high. Last thing, and to me, this is gigantic and it's under discussed. I think the college athletes, specifically the football players, have massive leverage coming up to this season because the schools are saying, and rightfully so, we can't make this work economically. We can't make college football games being played work unless there's fans in the stadium because that's a big chunk of their revenue. So now it's like if they actually somehow missed the whole year, that would be a major problem because these are revenue-producing sports, specifically football. And a lot of the other uh, sports would suffer, and even some of the colleges themselves need that money. And... The players aren't getting anything really effectively except their scholarship, which is worth something, no doubt. And if there's ever a time for them to say, you know, I I don't feel safe playing right now because I get why the colleges would want to put them out there because there's a lot of money to be made. But the kids get their scholarship either way. So the marginal difference, if they play this season or not, is nothing for them financially. I'm not saying they don't want to play, but man, if you're ever going to be in a negotiating position and how they would organize is the question, but it just, and either you guys jump in, but doesn't it feel like the players at football specifically have leverage coming into this season they might never have again? What do you think, Fez? Oh, 
Go ahead, John. Well, no, I was just going to say, yeah, they have leverage if they go that route. I just, I don't think that's a football player's mentality. No, I agree. And, and listen, it's like a game of chicken, though, right? right. It's not Dak's yeah. mentality that he's going to miss this season. But if you're not sure, you're going to sign the contract. You know, so to some degree, I think ultimately the organizing might be limited, as in they, they won't play the game of chicken for long. But if they play it at all, if they in any way push back against the NCAA and get some concessions, now's the time it feels like they could. Final word, Fez. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they will, though, RJ, because I think all these players, ultimately, they just want to play the game, and I don't think they're going to organize. All right, we'll see. When we come back, very interesting. We're going to see for the next couple of years when it comes to the NCAA. The idea is like when you're five betting and the like, the only people who are calling you are ace, king, aces, kings, and queens, and the tens are make more straights. That actually makes sense to me because the, 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 the hand that I would limp and raise with, the even out when I would do it with aces, was you know I would do it with jack-10 suited. And the reason being, I think I get rid of, I'm not going against jacks. I'm not going against tens, most likely. So nines, I'm going to get rid of when I, you know, and when I'm short stacked, I usually would do that and push. And queens, kings, and aces for a push, and it wouldn't be a crazy push, are going to call. So I really, uh, what's that called when you, um, it's not a dichotomy, but it, it's it's an a, asynchronous rain. I, I there's a poker term for that, but I, I actually think there's a lot of logic to that. What do you think of that, Steve? Yeah, I did, I did, the reason it popped into my head was just because of this 10 and 11. I think of Jax as like the 11 and 10s being the 10. No, so. no, I understand. But yeah. what I'm saying is the, the idea, if you're going to limp with the hand and, and, and even out your you know GTO, your game theory optimization, which is a little fancy for the way I play poker, but is... Do you like the idea that Jack Ten suited being the hand that you that's the dummy hand or you know that that's the fake raise? Yes, much more so than King Jack. Even though King Jack's a better hand because not against the range you're going to be bucking against. Yeah, you know because Ace King's going to beat you anyway in that case, right? So I mean, if you're if someone does call with Ace King, you know unless you know again the question is would it be better to have a pair of sevens? Or eight, or let's just say eights or nines. Actually, thinking about it, I think on a short stack, I'd probably rather have. Now that's interesting too, because you're always going to have an overcard, right? But I kind of like you can get away from Jack Ten if you need to. But you got six outs just with overcards too. I mean, if they have a yeah, I like. I think you could also obviously you can do it with you know a hand like eights or nines too. I think. But. Yeah, and I, and I like the idea of that the eights or nines are no better than uh, the jacks are really not much better because bottom line is ace jacks the guy is probably going to throw away. Well, he's, for sure, he's he's going to have to have ace queen at a minimum. No, he's going to throw. I mean, I wouldn't push if he wasn't throwing ace queen away. Yeah, I mean, I, there's no way I'm not going to put. I, you know, meaning I'm playing the player to some degree uh-huh. because if it comes back around, I mean, if someone raises, you know, and again, this was always to stop the. There was a time, let's say in 2015, 16, maybe into 17, that the game had, well, no, probably not into 17. The game hadn't gotten so tough yet, but you'd see a guy come down from, you know, if I was playing 2 5, and, and at that point I was playing more 2 5. There was, you know, about five years I was playing almost all 5 10 at the Bellagio, but the games were a lot easier. Then I was playing 2 5. 
But you get a guy that was busted down from 5'10", and he's always playing super aggressive, which I think he should because most two five players don't know how to ha- handle that, or at least at the time they did. And, again, it's probably different now. I don't play nearly as much. But – and I, you know, you to me, you always got to push back against that guy as soon as you can, right? But those are the guys too that that you know. There's certain types of those players that are just they don't want to get pushed around, right? And it's also what have I done since that player sh- you know showed up? It doesn't matter what my table image is; it matters what it is against in his eyes, right? So if I haven't played a hand for 15 hands, and then I I limp raise, he's got ace queen. As long as I'm raising enough that it's, you know, if I'm doubling the pot, if I'm potting it on the raise, let's say, I, you know, I think most ace queen suited, he probably stays ace queen. He doesn't. But anyway, <laughs> little distraction there. Are you still playing online? I, I play occasionally, not like, seriously. Like how, like how many times in a month? Oh, I, I, I've been playing like 10 times a month right now just because there's no games going on. But during the football season, I didn't play one hand. I had to like figure out what my password was. So the um, has the games picked up? So this is the one that World Series of Poker does? It's like the Ve- it's the Vegas Network? Yeah, the WSOP.com. And there are more players than I ever remember, RJ. Makes sense, right? Because every, every brick and mortar play, you know, is, is playing online. Product. But what's fascinating is the disparity between if, you play, if you're playing even like 50 cents a dollar, everyone seems to be a complete and utter rock. As opposed to... Well, they're probably multi-tabling, right? Yeah, yeah. But if you play, like, these blast tournaments that are out there, you see the most maniacal play that you'll ever experience. I don't know if you've ever played a blast tournament before. No, God, no. Oh, my God. Go try it once. Yeah, you know, I've never played... I've only played in, like, $20 entry tournaments when I was with friends just hanging out. You know, I, I believe if you're not a professional, you pick one or the other. Right. Because to me, you don't have time to b- learn the nuances of both. And if, if I'm only going to play so many hours a, a week back then, why not play the, what you're best at? Right. Pick one and be bad. And I guess the one thing is you don't get to play the WSOP or whatever. Right. So, yeah. And, and for me, when I play, I, I only buy in for 40 big blinds. So I short stack. That's the that's the I mean, you're hated wherever you go, though, really. Oh, and they hate short stacks. Oh, my God. The poker players hate the sh- and, and I'll leave right. after. Well, well first I off, win. now that is sad, actually. <laughs> I mean, it, I'd be one thing uh, and I don't blame you like what I do is I'll buy in for the minimum and see I want to see two orbits. I want to at least know the players. And then I'll usually, and I'll, at that point, it's either raise or fold. I'll either chip up or, if I haven't won anything, or I'll get a table change. Right? If I'm not, but if I'm not going to be able to play chipped up, then what's the freaking point of playing, Right? is my opinion. But again, I'm not playing for a living at that point. Or, uh, yeah. So... But the idea that if you win, that presupposes that you're good. That the take now I get it. It's just one data point, but it's like, hey, and who? I would at least wait one more orbit to see if someone gets mad. You know, like someone sees a guy come in and 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 min stack it and double up. They're going after you. I think you made a meta game, not 
mistake not staying two more orbits to let them try to take a shot at you because they're going to be pissed off. Yeah, but I don't know how. What to do you pl- mean? Yeah, but I don't know how to effectively play with eighty big blinds. And what game? Against, against what game pros. are we talking about? In, in, in no limit holding when I'm playing. No, but you don't know how to play in the, like at the five ten level. What limit would you do this? When I'm, I'll play online. I'll play up to two five with with forty big blinds. But the players are too tough when I'm playing with. Well, I don't big even blinds. know about online. But so you would only do this online. You yes, would, online. Okay, because this feels like the way you do with blackjack, where you're leaving. You got ten minutes, so you. That's not what you're talking about. No, I'm. That's. No, oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm well, not just cares? waiting for a super high count. It's basically. Obviously, if I'm short stacked and everyone else is playing with with the full stack, they're going to limp in with the three, four of diamonds in early position, stuff like that. They'll make plays that are no, not. I, I mean, yeah, anyone that cares yeah. about this understands why yeah. short stacks in advance. But but do a succinct, quick, succinct version of it. When you're playing with a big stack, like over 100 big blinds, you can play a whole lot of speculative hands, suited connectors. So the implied odds. Implied odds. The five, seven of diamonds in no, middle No, no, we position. understand, Steve. Continue. Right, and so because of that, the guy that's the short stack, 40 big blinds, or ideally 20 big blinds, only plays the premium hands, throws away all these speculative hands, and then you get like an ace-king in the big blind, and someone's raised a couple callers, you just go all in. Very difficult to beat. And what ends up happening is not only you force people to make bad decisions because they're supposed to get rid of it, but they just get mad. Exactly, because yeah. they're like, God, this this short stack is ruining the game. I'm going to bust him and get rid of him. And that's why you should have stuck. That that was your metagame mistake, not staying two more orbits once you doubled up. Well, then I can't play my short but, stack but, anymore. But again, if they're playing erratic, you can't be that right, bad. That's a good point. Jesus Christ, I didn't know you were that bad. We should play some heads up. I think we should. Well, listen. So wait a minute now. <laughs> wait a minute now. I'm confused. You're either lying or you have uh, uh, about why you uh, your your ineptness, or you have false bravado right now. Because what I can tell you unequivocally is I've never had a losing year of poker, and I had years that I was making. Mm, I was making a good. Let's just say that. Let me think about what was my hourly. I didn't keep it. So I'm just going to guess. And it's probably going to I'm going to cut in half whatever I guess because that's the way it usually goes with these things. Hmm. So eight hours, three hours. I tell you, if I wasn't making 50 an hour, I'd be shocked. Uh, and again, let's think about that. Eight hours, 400. Obviously, I have losers. I mean, I've you know, you have big winners. Huh. So I know in limit, one big blind an hour is the goal. In no limit, what, what's the goal typically, like in a 5-10 game? Yeah, I didn't play 5-10. I played 2-5, but it's not that much different. I would say 50 bucks an hour is a good number. Yeah. So what you're saying is you would be playing online at something that was just on the fringe of your abilities, you thought, but you were able to because of the short stack. Whatever the limits exactly, are. Exactly. I yes. understand that. But now what I'm saying is do you think that game was tougher than the 2-5 game. Oh. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Was that game tougher than the 5-10 at the Bellagio? Oh, much tougher. Well, then why weren't you at the Bellagio? Because I'm like in my pajamas, RJ. And why weren't you at the Bellagio? I'm lazy. If you're playing, I mean, I'm, what I'm, I'm saying sports. is you were playing. I'm busy. Well, I don't have time to go down to Bellagio. Oh, like, like you can't bet at the Bellagio. Okay. I mean, meaning you can bet remote, you can bet there. But let me ask you this, because you're only in Nevada, right? Yeah. But let, <laughs> let me ask you this. Waste management consultant. <laughs> But let me ask you this, is we're not talking about in the last couple of weeks or whatever, or, you know, since 
the COVID-19 or whatever. We're talking about when you were playing a ton of poker. Yeah, this is like 12 years yeah, ago. Yeah, so what yeah. I'm saying is why weren't you at the Bellagio? I was betting sports. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was busy. You're full of shit is why. Well, you can, you can look me up. No, you what know? I'm saying is this idea that like 1-3 is so much tougher than the 5-10, you're high as a kite. 1-3 online versus 5-10? Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. high then. I'm high. Uh, okay. Because I think 1-3 online is way tougher. Well, I don't know about today, mm. but I'm, I guess you're, you're saying you never played 5-10. I wasn't so playing online you know? 10 years ago. I was playing poker. Like I, Sports was so beatable. I was much more, um, when I had a free moment, I'd play poker like like once every two weeks. This was when? 12 years ago. So when did, I, I'm confused. You used to talk about how much poker you played. When did that happen? Well, I was playing on poker When stars. did that happen? Like, it was like 2006. So 12 years ago. Yeah. But you said you would play 10 minutes a month. Like the stories aren't no, sinking. The stories more. aren't sinking up. You can look, you can look me up well, on then why poker did you stars. just say, why did you just, oh yeah, I'm sure I can. Why did you just say, hey, poker stars, can you open up this guy's <laughs> account? Um, why were you just saying, though, you hardly played that? Like what story is it? Like I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to let you present how you think 510 is, is somehow like in which literally the pros in that game, meaning the people who were at that level were making about 130 to 140 a year. Absolutely fact. All right. A couple of people were buddies of mine. Meaning, not that they were necessarily making it or not. That was the, 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 you know, the, the B plus pros at that limit. That's what they were making. All right. So explain to me how that was garbage compared to the the online. And I'm not saying five ten online wouldn't be a lot tougher. I'm saying the idea, Steve. I'm thinking if you could have equated to 130k a year in hourly. You probably would have found some time to you know pop in down there, have a buffet, and play a little bit. Well, I wasn't as good as those guys. Okay, so but what I'm saying is the relative difference, whatever you would have ended up being able to make, it sounds like you could have made more down there because of how bad the 510 game was, apparently. No, because I was a short stack specialist. So really what we're saying here is whenever I feel like something you're saying doesn't make sense, it's usually you're trying to hide something. That's what you were just hiding. Yes. My, my ability to play with a big stack is very much compromised versus the niche that I was really good at. So now the question becomes, do you think I'm going to play you short stacked heads up? Because that's not how freeze outs work. Well, eventually you're going to get there if the blinds escalate. Well, they, they would, the blinds would never. This isn't a tournament. <laughs> we're gonna play for forty hours. We yeah, don't have we time, would play. RJ. We would play. Listen, I think you got nothing but time right now. <laughs> I got more to, time. To be honest <laughs> with you, but I don't, I'm not saying I would win. I think I'd be favored. <laughs> but what I'm saying is the way that you were dismissive, like I was walking into a uh, trap. Yeah, yeah. That's what this has all been about. That one little utterance. You're right. You're right. And it's bullshit. Like I said then. No way are you a major favorite over me. Maybe it's Pick'em. Maybe. Because I do think you'll pick up the... I've played very little heads up. And you'd probably pick it up quicker than me. Because you have a great feel for games like that. I'll tell you this. We go sit in a ring game for 40 hours. I'm like a minus 600 favorite, it sounds like. Because I'm a master at... For my level. Let me say this now. Is... I'll tell you this. You get to draw. I spent my first six years playing cards back in Ohio where I was just targeting like drunk, bad players. 
Like that was all that mattered is to this day, I've never seen anyone at the Bellagio. And again, I was playing two, five and five, 10. Um, that was better at exploiting a horrible player than me. Yeah, it's, it's a great point that optimal play does not equate to perfect play because if you can find someone who's playing way off optimality and isolate him and get to play against him, making plays that normally wouldn't be good are great against him, and I bet you were fantastic at that. Well, and plus I was play, I was getting in his head. I would always taunt him. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd do a raid. Like, that's another reason I like Jack 10 over 8 because when you throw it, when they fold, they get mad. They won't forget <laughs> it. You know, and I would show every bluff. You know, it was, uh, you know, I'd start counting my money in front of them. I mean, I was pretty f- uh, obnoxious. But again, it just took one bad call to make like 1400 or whatever. So it was worth You're it. probably going to put me on tilt also. You're right. You should be favored. I've changed well, my Well, first of all, in a ring game, it's not even no, close. No, I mean, I mean heads up. No, I don't know. You're, and you're probably going to get a read on me also. Well, that's probably true too. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.